ahead. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. I'm Alan Stevens. I'm here with Kai. Again, we're going to uh, get into some other uh, some other monitors we haven't quite touched on yet. So first things first, I want to uh, say thank you again to the Morelia Python Radio Network, Eric and Owen, for uh, starting this whole thing, getting us going, um, being a source of information and help and to all of you that are unfamiliar, maybe, and you're just coming to, to find out about monitors, uh, go on to the MoreliaPythonRadio.com uh, website. Check out what they have. Uh, these guys have been doing it for quite a while now. There's a few different podcasts on there covering all things um, reptiles. So uh, just to touch on those, because I, I don't think I've actually sat down and read them out before, but you have Morelia Python Radio. Uh, check out their podcast. That's Eric and Owen. Uh, you have Herp History with Eric um, <clears throat> and Owen also. You have Carpet Cliff Notes, Eric and Owen. Uh, Colibrid Corner, which is uh, Owen and Riley. Now, Riley has another one, uh, Carpets and Coffee, with his co-host, Lucas. Um, and oh, I'll keep going. Uh, Student of the Serpent with Eric Burke and Rob Stone. Uh, as I mentioned, um, Carpets and Coffee was uh, Riley, Lucas, Lee, uh, Eric also is in there. The Herping Podcast with Eric Burke and Nipper Reed. Uh, our podcast and Humans of Herpeticulture with Lucas Lee. The Australian Herpeticulture Podcast. Get those all those words out of my mouth. Uh, with Luke and Jason and then the Reptile Fight Cub Club with Justin Julander and Chuck Poland. And I've been listening to some of those and they're cracking me up. Uh, I find myself, I don't know if you guys have listened to them. Uh, but I'm taking one side of the argument and saying my uh, <laughs> my feelings to whatever I'm listening through, whether it's an ear pod or a speaker or whatever. Uh, so I'm having fun with that one. But all right, let's get started. How are you guys doing? Yeah, not too bad, man. Um, today, uh, today we're uh, bringing on a friend of mine. Um, his name's uh, Cody Cop. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, and uh, his... Uh, his uh, bringing him on today is basically just um, really kind of going over his whole project with uh, um, Varanus Prasinus or the green tree monitor um, or tree monitors in general. And so um, I believe that most and, and many people, even myself and um, all the gentlemen here tonight, is they we love tree monitors. The look, the the colors. It's the fascination. I mean, they basically are uh, extremely delicate, really elegant looking. And um, I think there's a, a crazy appreciation for them. And a lot of beginners happen to buy into getting a tree monitor at the very beginning, whether it's meant for them or not. And so with this podcast, we're hoping to be able to reach uh, just the, the, the people that are getting into it and also uh, on the breeder aspect as well, just because uh, Cody himself has recently, and congratulations by the way, um, has recently hatched out some some tree monitors, and so um, we'll get into all that juicy stuff in just here in a minute. But um, you know, as far as our a real, um, I guess our a real goal for for this uh, this episode tonight is uh, to really try to get to any of the beginners especially the ones that are, are just trying to learn, get an idea on what your caging is like, understand 
um, dense humidity rather than a wet enclosure, you know, just things like that where we'll, we'll cover as much mm -hmm. as we can. And uh, if you feel like you're a monitor keeper or a tree monitor keeper and we didn't cover anything, feel free to message any of us, even Cody himself, and we'll be able to help you out or we can answer whatever you happen to need on this podcast. Um, the, this you know, with, with talking about a lot of the tree monitors or any of the monitors in general, we can go on for days. So, you know, really to, to, to really cut it down, we're going to try to focus on a few aspects of just care and raising them, things like that. And then we can get into how, um, you know, Cody has actually produced them and getting to into his projects now. So, um, yeah, welcome, man. I really appreciate you for coming on. And I know we, we're a little bit uh, backed up and stuff like that. Just catching up with life so I'm, I'm glad you're able to mm -hmm. come on just whenever we need yeah i appreciate <laughs> it man now as far as your volume are, are we able to hear each other okay yeah can you hear me yeah i, yeah, I think you. your your okay, boom cool. was down a little bit so i can hear you better now okay cool all right awesome man so yeah man i, I know I've, I've kind of lived the the tree monitor experience with you. I, I myself mm -hmm. am uh, notorious for not really raising them right. Um, and uh, just my experience alone with them uh, in 2002, 2003. So that's uh, many years ago. And I was a, a teenager then. These people that I was working for at the time bought some um, tree monitors that came in. They were the blue, the blue tree monitors at the time. And they were quite expensive, you know, um, but still very rare. And we, we had a bunch of them. And I happen to lose and kill a bunch of them. So, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I learned uh, my lesson when I was really young. I mean, I really was in charge of the monitors. And so the blue trees just happened to land in my lap. You know, I mean, just I'm just a kid. So what do I really know? I kept them in like two by twos and two by threes and stuff like that when they really deserved like an eight foot enclosure, you know. Um, right. Well, I ended up bringing them even home to myself, the ones that were um, fit enough or things like that where I, I thought they were not on death's door and I tried to save those. Um, but still I ended up failing miserably with, uh, with them just diet wise, not understanding them, thinking I knew what I was doing, but in reality I, I wasn't. Um, so, um, you know, just, uh, just my experience with tree monitors alone. I, uh, I have some right now just raising up a young blue tree monitor that is a little gremlin. I actually, don't even really see him compared to all my other monitors just because they're 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 known to be pretty shy um even the captive bred ones you know they kind of have to get out of this uh baby stage you know mm. so yeah well what about you alan Wolves? you you have tree monitors now right yeah i got three uh blue trees now from the nice. look of it um they are all female so oh really? <clears throat> good yeah odds. good odds <laughs> Well, they, they actually was one. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. They're actually not mine. So um, they're a friend of mine. He's a he's a big python breeder. And uh, so he got into them when they were talking about closing Indo down and, and shutting down basically the importation of that species. So uh, he jumped on on a trio of them. And, you know, he, just the way things worked out, he ended up coming down here. Um, with another guy and um, we met got to know each other did a little road cruising for whatever we could find and um, kept chatting back and forth and then <clears throat> he ended up sending them over to me 
And uh, so being very honest, I think they're, they're a little more fragile. It, um, he had them feeding, they were doing fine with him. And then it's taken from the time he got them over here. I, I want to say it's been almost nine months or so. Wow. And they are just finally like really coming around to being out uh, feeding on more items. Uh, at the beginning, they would only touch some of Kai's hoppers and, um, and some roaches and only dubious. They didn't want any of the other mm-hmm. roaches I had. It's weird. Um, they can be really picky. Yeah. yeah. And, and this so is a they, problem that many of them deal with. Many people deal mm-hmm. with. Yeah, it was crazy. And so they, they've now taken some quail eggs or at least one of them. Um, mm-hmm. And as of yesterday, one of them actually took a, uh, a frozen thawed uh, mouse. So nice. I, I let some some hopper size mice go in there in the enclosure and they would eat those. Um, but I don't know which ones exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm see all of them out now more regularly. Um, they don't run when I, you know, when I'm in or about their cage too much. So it's, it's taken quite a bit of time to get them used to me and get them feeding regularly. So, um, mm-hmm. but that being said, I, I got to do it all again with a, I got to add a mail in somehow. And yeah. right. <laughs> then I, mean, I got to, you know, what if they don't like them? What if he doesn't like them? stir up the whole dynamic so yeah it's like yeah, uh, really. you're once you once the male is in there right the dynamic changes when basically the females go into their their periods right of mm-hmm. laying or whatever and so for me when i have a trio of my mangroves basically when one monitor is getting ready to lay the whole cage is thrown off because she's so mean or something like that same thing with my kimberly's too Dude, yeah I may have them all together, but once <clears throat> once it's time for that female to rock and start laying eggs, it's, it's like, man, I got to remove stuff and be aware of things like that, you know. Um, but but going back to your your nine-month acclimation period and then they're kind of just getting into the gear of like the norm- normalcy and eating again, I think just in the last several months alone, maybe like 30 or 40 people have come to me for grasshoppers or feeders and advice on how to acclimate their tree monitors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the grasshoppers are basically a, a, a something that they would possibly normally eat and they seem to be really attracted to them, you know? Um, and so it's basically helped quite a few people get an animal that isn't eating at all to basically fully acclimated and back up to, to weight and all that stuff like that. So for a lot of the, you know, it's not a plug to myself cause you can do other things to get them in gear as well. But, um, acclimating your tree monitors can be a real pain when you get them, especially if they came <laughs> in all messed up wild caught. It's, yeah. it's like they're del- We've already mentioned they're shy and delicate. Right. But I mean, to, to really, have to deal with that and then they don't eat and it's like you're failing them but you're trying your hardest and so you know it's like all of this is i don't know how to say it but it's like it it all just is for nothing if sometimes they just end up crashing you know um and to be honest not everybody acclimates and quarantines stuff as they come in they're basically brought in and the dollar marked is put on them and they're basically shipped to the next person you know 
and I think right. all of them have dealt with that in some way or another. Um, um, I was just going to say, uh, in regards to that too, I don't know if I ever told you about it, but so my first tree monitor was my female, right? Um, she came to me already super social and she's just gotten more social since I've had her, which made the entire process really easy. But my second tree monitor that I had was a long-term captive adult <laughs> male um, blue tree. No, so the guy that had him before me, I say long-term captive because it's like, I don't, we don't know how old he was when he got him, but the yeah. guy before me had him for four years. Okay. And he okay. said in the, in the four years that he had him, he never once saw this animal eat. It would only eat when he was out of the room. Yeah. He kept it like at his work office or something. He was a good guy. He just, I just didn't put in yeah. the effort. I don't know. It, I don't it's know how that, to uh, that showpiece but they're not yeah really but yeah. so it, it was basically just you know throwing hoppers it'll eat when he leaves um and so he didn't get to interact with it at all he i mean i don't know i i just when i got the animal he told me he had never seen it eat he never got to hold it never got to do anything so my goal from day one was i'm gonna watch this animal eat and it's going to happen. I don't know when, but hopefully in a few months. And uh, so my, my process was basically starting from scratch was getting the animal comfortable in its environment. So literally, I, I just kind of gauged how bad it was. And if it saw me, it would hit a wall, regurgitate mm -hmm. whatever it had eaten, <clears throat> run and hide. And yeah. so literally what I did was I took a blanket and I covered the enclosure with it and i left it for two weeks i would throw yeah. in its food hide uh hide the <laughs> door of the enclosure let it stay behind a blanket so it didn't have to see me yeah yeah gave it two it's weeks that. pulled the blanket down like night and day changed it completely um we also did that with our torch monitor for a little bit which helped and we did it with our male uh prasinus and that helped him also you can actually see one of them moving back there yeah. um but nice uh, way, man, I, I didn't realize they were that big. From yeah, it's six foot tall by four by two deep. Um, animal so, plastics. I, I'm like two hours from them, so I just drive and pick them up. It's super <laughs> convenient. <laughs> so um, the rest of the community, can you go over there and years. ask them what the heck? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right, dude. Yeah. Um, but no. Anyway, so I. Uh, yeah. So I mean, trying to wrap up that story. So basically, I I just let it chill not worrying about me so it got acclimated it, it was eating and then i i pulled the blanket down and then i moved the enclosure to an area that i frequented every day like it would be basically where they are now like it's it would see me with my back turned every day um yeah and so just from it having that experience within a week or two i could walk by the cage it wouldn't run it wouldn't hide and then i started trying to like put food in for it and i'd sit on the other side of the room and just watch it yeah. and i'd watch it eat and then the second i would see it grab food i would just inch my way closer so while it's you know putting the food away it would see me and continue eating which helped it go you know maybe it's not a threat mm -hmm. a couple days <laughs> later i started like i'm not kidding i would like hide around the side and just inch <laughs> food into it <laughs> and uh it it just started taking food off tongs 
And then I started, you know, like peeking out a little bit more and just doing those slow, like baby steps, baby steps. I have videos of it. This guy, four years, never got it to eat off tongs, two months. And I had it walking out onto my forearm, climbing up my shoulder for food. Nice, man. That's awesome. Mine aren't doing that yet. So, (laughs) right. But I'm telling you, just, you just got to start as small as possible and, you put in the work and it, it's so worth it because they get so much more comfortable. They're not as skittish. They'll try different yeah. foods. It's, it's worth it. I think you're onto something with, you know, um, it's just a thought I've had. I think I've talked with Kai a little bit about it in the past. It's just act, that actual interaction with monitors actually mm. helps them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And you, but it has to be done the right way. You know, if, if right. You can't be just holding it up and throwing it in the bathtub. Pet- Dude, and- yeah. Oh, yeah. That's basically awful. what you're doing. You know, um, you're the. It, okay, so a lot of people want like some type of formula on how to tame things or how to get things to, you know, be a be that that social thing that tongue feeds, walks up your arm, chills on your shoulder, right? Don't grab and it. Yeah, it's really <laughs> just. Uh, I mean, yeah, we're we're trying to let the animal come to you, and a lot of people say that, right? But what he's doing is just showing the animal by by not even really grabbing it and not forcing it to do anything he's just hanging out in the room it, it's yeah. just the 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 repetition of that the, the 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 they normally catch on to that and then he's also not really posing as a threat by offering food kind of working the animal on its own terms and i mean and really you you will have to you know, uh, I, I would say push a boundary a little bit. Let's say mm-hmm. when you have to take them out a little bit, but you still want to kind of lift them out or have them come out onto you rather than ripping them out of a hollow or something like that and you yeah. know, agitating them more. And I find one of the worst things you could do too is ending an interaction on like a bad note. Like yeah. if, if the last thing that they do <laughs> is they mad dash away from you, you basically just wasted that entire time of what you did because the thing that they're going to recognize the next time they see you is they're going to smell you and they're going to remember them running away not the good interaction that you had so like in my eyes one of the most important things that you could do is like a comfortable exit Mm -hmm. and you're going to have a much better experience next time around you know before we get too much into things cody this is the first time i've i've talked to you and so yeah, I know man. for a lot of the the listeners, um, I forget to do this sometimes. But just who are you? Tell me. Tell you know what got you into keeping monitor? Well, what got you into keeping? But how'd you get to yeah. monitors? And give me a little background. Cody's yeah, man. fresh in the game, dude. He's dude, like, yeah. So fresh. I I got my first reptile five years ago. Nice. Um, yeah, and uh, it was like to give you an idea how of how like fresh off i was with it, it it's it's like a, a horror story but with a happy ending like i had a friend come over and they're like hey man can you take this this lizard and i'm just like okay maybe what is it do you, do you have a cage for it and they're like look i don't even know what it is um it's big and <laughs> this dude was abusing the hell out of it and his girlfriend gave it to me and I don't know what it is, so she brings it over to me. I literally took a picture of it and had to Google image search what it was, and it was a Savannah monitor. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's where I started. And this dude had, like, abused this animal, like, picked it up uh. by its tail and whipped it. And so 
you know, they were keeping it in a ten, uh, a, an adult female Savannah monitor in a 10 gallon aquarium with a heat light, no water on Repti carpet. And <laughs> she couldn't even turn around, let alone because of how small it was. Her tail was necrotic. We had to have it amputated. Oh, um, man. And this animal was so, so poorly taken care of. And, and then I'm not kidding. Like, I just started after I found out what it was. I just started YouTubing Savannah Monitor. Savannah Monitor. First thing I found was Kevin McCurley. Back then, he was doing a bunch of Savannah Monitor stuff. That, like I said, this was five, six years ago, and um, and from there, I just started learning more and more about him. And the first thing I saw was socializing. So that was my first mm -hmm. interest was his videos on that. And that's why like breeding wasn't even at the forefront of my mind when I got into this. It was just I want social animals. Yeah, that's what it. everybody thinks. I mean, if you think about it, that's why we talk about the beginners now when their first thing is, hey, how do I get it to come out? How come it's right? Not yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, from there, I just uh, I actually gave it to somebody else that said they had another Savannah that was a big male. It's now I don't know if it's cohabbed, but I know they have like a 10 by five by five enclosure. <laughs> And this female that had the amputated tail, all this is now breeding, like almost nice. continuously. So it, it was definitely a success story. I didn't do anything. <laughs> I just took it yeah. to the vet because no, I didn't know what did the hell lot. I was doing. You did a lot. Right. Yeah. But um, but yeah. And then from there, I I got a boa <laughs> and uh, and then I got a green tree python and then a quince monitor. And yeah, uh, yeah and then I just was on craigslist one day and saw this dude in my city was selling a tree monitor and i'm like you know i've seen those let me look into those for a minute and <laughs> dude gave me like one of those big converted china cabinets with a tree monitor in it and that's that's how i got her and yeah i mean that's awesome. basically how it went from there like i i have you know a couple pythons a berm carpet green tree um my roommate has a bunch of stuff upstairs and then we just have um a torch monitor, a female black tree monitor, and then the pair of um, Prasinus. So, and, okay, uh, like, when, when you first got that cabinet set up, right, and <clears throat> got the, the tree monitor, uh, how are you setting it up then? Like, we're, we're uh, obviously, you know, what you know, new then and now are quite different, but would mm -hmm. you be able to kind of go through your setup then for... for yeah, people? so it was... It's one of those things where it looked great because it was a month and a half old. But after even just six months of it, the wood yeah. rotted and yeah. it wasn't stable. And she figured out how a way to get out of it. Um, and so luckily she was as social as she was. I found her literally sleeping in my pillowcase. Nice. <laughs> like, yeah. And she just pops her head right out. Um, but it, the, the temp and humidity was okay it's everything else that was bad. I, at this point from that, experience the alone, yeah, like I swear off like furniture conversions because the floor of it was rotting out because of the humidity. Um, the doors were rotting away. Things were rusting in it. And then it's, it's just not ideal. You don't have a substrate layer. Um, it, it, right. you just miss a lot. Um, with that said though, um, it was a, four tall by three long by like one and a half deep for a single female that wasn't even an adult yet it was it was great size uh she had one basking spot and then it was hooked up with two mist king nozzles 
mm-hmm. great humidity. She drank off the nozzles. Um, I can't s- seriously stress how much of a life lifesaver Mist King is and like <laughs> systems because yeah. I cannot possibly in a day hand spray enough to give her the water that she needs and then keep the humidity up. I put this thing on a timer. It sprays four times a day for 45 seconds each time. Just um, 45 seconds, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of play with it. Um, but I mean, I'll just run you through what their setup is now. And I'd basically do the same thing for a single animal minus one of the basking spots, but for, for a pair, uh, 100% you want two basking spots because you can cohab them long term. Um, the only time you would really have to remove is if your female lays. Not everybody has the experience, but I'd rather, you know, get ahead of it than risk something bad happening. You know, you you start seeing breeding activity, pull the male out is like a week after they're done. Um, <clears throat> but with that said, they want to separate sometimes, so they both have enough hides where they can be away from each other. I have six hides in there that they can each go into. Some of them are cork rounds mounted into the walls. Um, some of them are just loose around. There's two basking spots. Uh, one sits between 125 and 130. The other sits 110 to 115. And then I have uh, the lights on like a 14-hour day, 10-hour night cycle. Uh, the Mist King uh, comes on right when the lights do. Um, yeah. I'll spray for... Uh, okay, so I changed it recently. So now I have it about 30 minutes behind because when the lights come on, she's out within five minutes. Um, So I have it delayed about 30 minutes. So when the lights come on, she has time to get out. It sprays for a minute and a half. Uh, That gives her a chance to get, you know, a bunch of water in the morning, drink everything that she needs to. And then two and a half hours later, 45 seconds, two and a half hours later, 45 seconds. And if it's, that's that's pretty much just how I go until the lights turn off at night. Um, if it's in the winter, I will sometimes have it spray in the middle of the night just to keep humidity up a little bit for like 15, 20 seconds. Just because yeah. I'm in the Midwest and it gets really dry in the mid, in the in the middle of the winter. But I mean that's pretty much it. Um, when people ask me what type of misting setup do I use, right? I tell uh-huh. them I tell them I don't use anything at all because I really don't have to spray that often. Um, right. Like when I, I tell people, hey, like when you have a hooked up setup, I mean, you're really only wanting to spray it for like a minute and then let it evaporate for a few hours and then you can hit mm. it again. You know? Yeah, that's that's why I'm trying to do like no, no more often than like two and a half hours. But yeah. I try to keep their humidity between like 75 and 80 uh, percent, if not more. I don't I really don't want it to drop below that. Um when hers has gone below that, it was in that uh, furniture conversion enclosure yeah. that she had. And she actually started getting stuck shed on the tip of her tail uh, because of it. And it like almost went necrotic because it was stuck and I couldn't get it off. We had to take her to a vet and have it treated. Um, and that so that experience alone, I keep it higher now for sure. Um, I will say on this note, so like I said, this enclosure is six feet tall, four feet long, two feet deep. Um, I think that's ideal for a pair of, you know, Prasinus. Prasinus are the smallest tree monitor species. Um, I can't say I'd put a pair of blue trees in this, 
Um, I would probably go a foot or two longer, taller. Um, but I think this is great for Prasinus. A single animal, really, of any of the species, if you just have one, instead of six, four, two, you can do four tall, four long, two deep. And that's incredibly manageable for people. I can't... And the minimum size that we'd really recommend. I mean, just to get the full... Um, necessity and usage out of the cage when yeah fit in everything yeah like, exactly. we've learned it right it, i mean even the cage you have right now you're all still limited on some space as far as like all the nesting that you wanted to do remember we had to like find the right yep. area right and so i was actually gonna get to that yep um <laughs> so for a single animal like i said four tall four long two deep i think that's perfect <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't personally recommend lower than that still let them explore you could cover the walls I'm a big advocate for, you know, modifying the walls, putting cork on the walls, everything. Because just the more stuff that they have to climb on, it makes it seem to them like it's bigger. Um, but with that said, what he was alluding to there, uh, in the process of breeding and trying to set up a nest box, with these taller enclosures, unless your room is 80 degrees, you're not going to be able to get your ambient temps up high enough. Yeah. So we had to actually install in the bottom, like two feet two and a half feet um an extra heat source to raise the lower temperature and it was such a pain going through that whole process (laughs) um we lost our entire first clutch um because of it because we just couldn't get it right and i think one of the big things was because we didn't have it soon enough it was like most of the eggs were infertile just because they they don't see a adequate nesting they don't have any access to it until three weeks they don't fertilize the eggs you know this is hypothesis i can't actually cite any sources for that but that's my thought um i want to start doing what matthew cosman does if you've ever seen any of his youtube videos um it's reptile revolt he does the exact same dimensions as mine but rotated so it's six long four tall yeah. And that makes it so that you could still get a decent substrate layer, but you don't battle the bottom two feet being too cold. Yeah. So then he doesn't even, I mean, I'm sure he still does, but at that point you really don't need to supplement heat the way that I have to, and then fight with all this. Right. And so going forward for pair enclosures, I'm going to do six foot long instead of tall. And right. that's just going to make the whole process easier because they don't that's- even use the bottom two feet anyway. It's too dark and it's too cold yeah mm-hmm. that, that's what i did when i learned for my mangroves um i used to have uh them I mean, eight foot tall and then it'd be four foot by four foot you know and, and they don't get me wrong they utilized the heat and they loved it up high but i was left with just the four by four foot square face square square footage and mm-hmm. you can only really fit so much there when right three to four feet and they need to nest and you have to accommodate the water dish, the nest, the other decor, just to make the cage useful and stuff like that. All that won't fit. So, um, going, going back a a little bit, your, some of you guys, and don't get me wrong, we're not discouraging the tall enclosures. It's just, you have to, like I said, you have to accommodate. And -hmm. what he did was basically add lower level heating. Now, Mm -hmm. To most people, you're going to 
as a beginner, you're going to put stuff at the very top in a couple fixtures, and it's going to buffer the cage out sort of well. But on in winter times, or let's say you have a cold floor or a cold room, you run the AC, or you have a lot of soil that isn't heated. Basically, I'm in it's the basement. yeah, it's just not usable soil that's up to temperature, humidity, and up to par basically. So your cage is mm. basically a cold down there. So the bottom level heat is a real game changer if you want to um it'll it'll not only heat the bottom of your closure heat the soil so it's useful it creates humidity and then humidity rises naturally right mm -hmm. and, and then you, you have a, a better balance instead of everything just at the top and then your need for heat at the top is also less because you've accommodated for that at the bottom heat yep. will also naturally rise and with the humidity and it'll make your enclosure more stable um, rather than just everything at the very top. That's actually one thing that I started doing also is after I added this heat and let me say it was such a pain figuring it out. It works yeah. now. Um, we had to basically, it's like, like I said, it's, if you guys can see, it's about right here in the enclosure. You can see all the cork rounds covering it. It's so that the mist system doesn't hit the, the heat the source and, yeah, because yeah, it's an actual bulb. <clears throat> um, right. I found like one of the like purple nightlight ones that I use. It it radiates pretty well. Um, but so what I started doing also to help with humidity is, uh, I mean they I don't know how, but they make a mess of their water bowl. So every <laughs> every three weeks or so, I'll just go in and dump that whole thing straight under that heat light. Mm -hmm. So then it just evaporates all of it right up into the enclosure into like humidity so then i don't have to worry about hand spraying it ever um yeah. and it, it just it's really convenient um just to yeah, be able for, to do things like the for 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 me that that lower level heat i i guess you know uh, as far as recommending it you know you can uh hang a heat lamp off of uh well some type of protective ledge and then the it's it's basically a very short box Okay, so it, it has to be a box because you have to hold the wire somewhere. They can't just be all willy-nilly, all loose, okay? You have to actually have a it'd – be, it'd be maybe even one inch tall. And so you're using, you know, just the thin cuts of plywood, and you're hooking up a lamp on the inside – or, sorry, at the very bottom, and the wires are sitting on the inside safer rather than just um, out anywhere. And then you can run that through the back of the enclosure – you know, put your little box on, um, I would say, uh, the shelf, uh, the, 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 they're like L-shaped, and they're basically for the shelves, right? And you can hook that up at the bottom, screw that into your cage, and that creates basically a little awning for the the lamp that's going to be there, sort of protectively. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you'll, you'll have to kind of figure out a safe way to, to do it because there's going to be stuff dropping, and so it can't just be a... Uh, an exposed bulb so much you know yeah yeah so to give you a, I, especially for the people that are listening that are battling this issue because like i said i'm in a basement and the ac works 10 times better down here than it does upstairs so <laughs> it's like 65 degrees down here half the time so their ambient without that on is 70 degrees in the lower yeah. half of the enclosure so it's a hundred percent a necessity and i just went on amazon i think it was i would have to pull up specifically what i got but it was one of the caged fixtures 
So it was the base for the light itself, and then also a cage with it. So we okay. just uh, popped a hole through the back of it to run the cord through, and yeah. then put the cage right over the hole, so that not only can they not sit on the bulb, they can't get to the cord, they're not going to get out that hole. And so I, it's it worked out way better than I expected, um, yeah. but it was just trial and error figuring out what was going to work. So is it bulb arranged um, horizontally? Is it sticking out from the side? Or is uh, it I have mine it? propped at an angle. I okay. would prefer it was, you know, straight 45 degrees. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, straight 45. Um, but, uh, no, I guess that's 90, isn't it? Yeah, 45, 90. Well, if yeah. It, yeah, if <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought you meant um, a straight, like, angle of 45 degrees. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, mine's... Mine's a little crooked, but I would prefer it just to be sticking straight out horizontally. Um, I know Travis, I don't know his last name. He set up one uh, the same fashion, but he did his an actual heat bar at the bottom back of his enclosure. And then about a foot above it basically did like a bird box yeah. uh, for like a nesting box right above it. Because really, it wasn't even just that I was trying to raise the the lower end temperature i was trying to get an adequate heat to radiate up into my nesting box yeah and so i basically like yeah i i macgyvered together a, a nesting box i can actually grab it in a second and show you um but it's literally a cork round that i hot glued a piece of garden liner to and yeah. filled That's with awesome. cocoa and then yeah. so after we got the lower temperature right I just started moving it around until I saw it was about 83, 84 degrees. And then I just left it there and she went to town five minutes. Uh, so we tried uh, like tubbed boxes. We tried like propping them up in the enclosure. Any of those tubs, she wouldn't even touch. I would put her in there and she'd run out. I put yeah. that cork round in within five minutes. She dug halfway to the bottom, came out, dug the rest of the way down. Nice. It's, yeah. it's the only thing she will use now. Little yeah. prima donna over there, you know. Dude, yeah, <laughs> let me. Almost like uh, what I would say. Very specific, you know. Um, kind yeah. of Because you know, let's just say they don't come down to the ground too often, and um, a lot of times, when a, a region is pretty consistent in temperature, let's say like a rotting stump or a rotting log. Uh, would have a bunch of soil in, in the bottom of it or in the base of it. And I think me and Alan were just talking about this the other day. Some tree monitors in the nest bin, they just lay it on top of the soil. They yeah. don't even they right. don't even dig it. And so um, um you know I think they're laying on a in a confined area that's a broken stump or some type of log that at the base of that log is the accumulation of rotting plant material rotting you know bark and things like that and they essentially set them right there um right. other keepers i believe um guy montecalvo is if, if i'm pronouncing his last name right i believe or, you are john and uh sim john and alex as sim basically designed this uh this i think pvc giant tube right and there's a face yep. cut out of a piece of it, right? And so then you're they've attached a little hinge to that, 
And so they can open and go in and out when they want for their, you know, their arm size and arm length to dig in and out of it. But um, really, Man, this tube is then just designed and stuffed with a bunch of, um, you know, core fiber, soil, sandy soil, and in in design to mimic a tree rotting stump. Right. right. So what's yeah. funny is I was actually just browsing Instagram the one day. Like, I think you and I were talking, trying to brainstorm ideas. Yeah. I actually saw guys or not guys. Uh john's post on instagram about that pvc tube yeah. and i went you know what i'm just gonna make this out of cork bark <laughs> so yeah. that's yeah. literally what inspired me with this and it has worked so incredibly well so i mean i don't even think i ever messaged john and told him i kind of co-opt his idea but man hey, john, it... i mean thanks for inspiring us you know <laughs> yeah I mean, dude that literally saved my animal that's that's really how we work you know where one guy may have an idea and he's using one product one one way to do it right but then you thought about you took that same idea and you have a whole another material where you can apply almost a very similar aspect on what that guy just did and so um, we all are learning from each other you know whether or not we want right. to congratulate each other or not we're all experiencing just um, from from one another we get to live through it you know and, yeah uh, we get to get to get a feel of it yeah, dude, and work with what you got. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, mm -hmm. I was kicking myself trying to figure out where I can buy PVC, trying to do all this because I, I felt like I needed to replicate exactly what he was doing. You don't have to do everything to a T the way you see somebody else right. doing it. You can, I mean, be creative. I already had this stuff laying around because I had garden liner because I make like bioactive stuff hot glues just because everybody has hot glue and i just had a bunch of cork bark so i'm like you know what i'll just makeshift it and it, it worked i don't have like the side entrance but it's not even necessary and like there's right. so many things that you can just be creative with in general not even just like breeding but there's so many things that you can kind of make your own in the reptile yeah. stuff like those sleeves that i started making for the grasshopper cages and yeah. stuff kai like the game changer, stuff like man. that game changer I and, like that. Uh, yeah, and I literally, you sent me a video on Facebook, and we're like, "Yeah, look at these uh, lubbers to, or something." And I and I saw the I saw the cages, and I'm like, I don't even care about the lubbers. Like this, yeah. I want that sleeve, and so I just started playing around with it. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, <laughs> man, that's uh, that's that's how. Again, man, that's that's literally how we work. Just seeing ideas from one guy to the next, you know, and uh, yeah, and that. Oh, that's uh stuffed it back in here inspiration are you good man so oh, yeah. for the listeners out there for i don't know the last five ten minutes uh cody's been walking around impressing the heck been. out of me because he has a wireless um headset and mic yeah so this is what she right. lays in it's it's for... it's literally a, a one and a half foot to like possibly yeah it's like i measured it's like four, it's like 14 inches by like four inches and I literally just fill it with cocoa. I put it in there two days ago, and she dug to the bottom already. And so and she's not even breeding this, yet. And you may not have this right in a direct, like uh, it's not a. What I would normally recommend would be a heated nest source, but this is hanging in an area that's the perfect temperature, right? Yeah. So if you can see me here, the heat is right here. Okay. The, and then the yeah, and the cork tube starts here and it angles out away from it. So as it goes up, it gets a gradient. So it's not all one temperature. So nice. I have it angled away from the heat. That's awesome. 
So, so the listeners get what he's saying. The heat source is actually below this cork bark that he's using. Okay? Mm-hmm. He's using the fact that the heat radiates or the, the heat <clears throat> goes up. And uh, so your, your temperatures at the top of your cage, if you have a heat source that's lower down, um, it's going to be, it's going to maintain that heat. It's going to give you a gradient towards the top of the cage. And so he's using the right temperatures within that gradient to place that tube for nesting. That's, that's a great idea. You know, um, we kind of, I think do similar things uh, with similar cages, but Mm. I, yeah, but I, it, the, like probably the hardest part was actually, so I have their cage really cluttered Mm -hmm. and, it's it's kind of a blessing and a curse it made it a lot easier to to be able to actually hold up that nest tube right there yeah but needing to like oh this is too hot rearrange everything oh this is too cold rearrange everything again yeah and so it it took like a few hours just of moving things around to get it where i wanted it but now i mean you saw me i lift it out do what i want put it back in yeah, nothing what? moves. It's easy. I like that's it. Mm-hmm. Simpl- simplified because that's that that's that crazy thing that some people don't realize. Man, it's like when you have so much volume in soil, digging digging that is not is not easy. Oh. Dude, know? that and like especially how I said where that's at in there, that's about I don't know a foot and a half. Oh no, it's like two and a half feet below the top of the cage. I literally tried propping a like forty pound garbage can full of soil up there to get her to use it breaking my back putting it in there breaking the sticks it's on bowing the cage and then trying to heft that thing out of there like it was not worth it this is so much better that thing weighs like 10 pounds at most like yeah yeah so much better i like i'm probably gonna be making some similar things uh here very soon to try out do it i I mean um... you saw how big that thing was and she goes down wraps around and comes right out I'm gonna, I want to try something similar with my uh, my Timors and the, and the peacock mm-hmm. monitors. Um, right now, I actually have their their nest bin is basically sitting on kind of a stool in the middle of their cages because that's where my temperatures are right. So the nest box that I'm using for them isn't actually on the ground; it's suspended, so to speak, sitting mm-hmm. on the stool. Um, but it's not very appealing to the eye. You know, they're just right. these black totes. So I've been thinking about some different ideas like this. And uh, I'm all naturalistic, dude. If if I can do it natural looking, I will. And that's why once that worked, I'm like, whatever, I'm not trying anything else. <laughs> I think I need to place that order. I've been talking so long about placing that order for cork. I just need to, you know, uh-huh. uh, call up Maryland. And, Maryland? Yeah. And just say, send it. Send, <laughs> send it Where all. Where are you going through? Maryland From cork. Maryland cork. Oh, where do you live? California. Oh, you do? Okay. So I I tried pricing out with them. A couple of friends and I were were about to order like 150 pounds of cork. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have the best looking pieces of cork, but the shipping gets you because it's all freight shipping. So they quoted us like $475 freight shipping. Oof. Yeah, okay, so no that was before no the court. <laughs> so I mean, you're, not, you're better off just finding the right pieces at the shows. You're yeah. you're gonna get you're gonna get. Okay, I've ordered from them before. I've ordered joint orders for, with other people. There's like two pieces that are good. 
yeah, mean, two pieces that are, are, are what you want is what I mean. Yeah. Like the rest are good. They're fine. I'm not going to be too picky, but real useful pieces, not too many. Dude, cork is like a precious commodity now, too. There's this shop near yeah. me. Um, not going to name names, but now they're charging. It, it's the weirdest thing because you think it's by the pound. So if it's bigger, it's going to cost more. Mm-hmm. So their cork rounds are nine ninety nine a pound, but then their extra large ones are fifteen ninety nine a pound, and it's like it's already by the pound. Yeah, Stop right. changing the price of it. Right. So right. you got these like thirty forty dollar pieces of cork that they're now charging ninety dollars for, and I'm just like, no, I'll, yeah. I'll take my luck with Josh's frogs. I get free shipping. But like whatever. You know, I can, <laughs> you know I can do math, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is uh, why. Cork now only gets reserved for a few species, you know, more the uh, the Indo species. All the Australian stuff, sorry. All your cork yeah. got yanked out of your cage. You should see this cage. We dropped, my roommate and I, we probably dropped about $550 on cork bark on this, and that was on sale. Yeah. Like, we covered every single wall. One wall has the universal rock on it. Uh, it's only for about three feet of it. I wish I would have done, like, the full six feet, but... Every wall is full of cork, and it was, yeah, it was, yeah. I removed, so I have this thing where I'm trying to get all my monitors more used to each other and also used to me. Um, so I've actually removed all the cork out, and then everything is now left with like uh pieces of uh plywood shelves and stuff like that. I have a couple animals that still have the cork in them, but for the most part, I've removed a fair amount so they're super exposed to each other. Um, and, uh, I have like a whole, whole baker's rack, just a bunch of cork that I don't know. I don't even know if I'm going to be using them again after <laughs> how I have it set up now. So it's like yeah. maybe $500 worth of, of pieces, you know? And there's like, there's pieces that I can shove my whole leg in. Like that's how, right. that's how, oh, that's how big they are. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're, they're just so solid and I, I don't want to give them away or throw them away or anything like that, but. Oh, dude, there's my little guy. Yeah, here's oh. yours. All right, so uh, currently he just pulled out a uh, uh, baby green tree monitor. Awesome, man. Yeah, and he's just chilling. He's a little flighty when I first stick my hand in there, but he calms down real quick. I'm working with him a bunch. Nice. So, yeah, uh, tell us about that, man. I know we congratulated you a little bit at the beginning, and yeah. you're now about, what, three three weeks into them coming out, right? Uh, Yeah, about two and a half. Hold on. Let me see if I can get the both of them out at once. They're, oh, like so they're said, brand they're, new, brand new. Yeah, yeah they're, like they're about two weeks old. Yeah, look at them. And they're just, they're just chill, dude. Awesome, man. You know, from so, the look of it, my sand monitors are about the same size. I didn't, I didn't realize right? that those babies were – that big and you could see the size difference too. the one right here on my right yeah. your left i think yeah. this one is considerably bigger than this one just right. because it started eating a few days sooner it's so crazy how much faster this one's growing now that's um, that's wild man uh it's it's weird to see you holding them i know we've shared a lot of videos and you send me stuff and but man they're actually really dope <laughs> yeah dude i freaking love them and like they just hop right back in they're chill um one thing that i'm trying to do is make sure i don't give them too many hides because i want to make sure i mean again you see my computer right here 
their enclosures there. They're right in the middle of my living room down here. Every time somebody walks by, they see us. I yeah. want them to see as many people as humanly possible. They have plenty of coverage. I put a live plant in there with them. Uh, so they have plenty of coverage. But there's no, like, I'm going to hide and not see anyone. Disappear, um, yeah. Yeah, because I want, like, when they go to their new homes, I want them to be outgoing and social like I know they can be. And yeah. the one already is. Like, the second yeah. one I picked up, just stoop it right out. It doesn't care. You can reach over it. You can. It, it's still a little iffy on the tail. That's one thing with all monitors, though. But, like, my female tree monitor, I'm not kidding. I can walk up behind her and lift her by her tail, and she just hangs. <laughs> like, she doesn't care about anything, dude. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're awesome. Right. Yeah, they are, they are awesome, though. Um, so one thing that Kai and I both kind of realized in this process was, man, do they take their time eating for the first time. Yeah. Uh, I, we were expecting three, four, five days before they had their first meal. The first one ate at 11 days. The second one ate at day 15. Yeah. After we separated it. Yeah. I yeah. think it might have been eating really, like, kind of reluctantly, like, not a lot. But <laughs> it's, yeah, it's eating now. I, I, uh, I wanted to be able to track how much, so I moved it to a different enclosure. I wanted to make sure I could, like, track bowel movements. I thought I had seen some, but so I put it on all paper towel. Uh, very minimalistic and I threw in five grasshoppers and I would just every couple hours count, see if there was still five. And then I would notice four and three. And then the one day I actually saw it eat. So yeah. I'm like, all right, it's cool. It'll go back in. So right. they're, they're doing awesome though. They, yeah. uh, I call the one chugs because it, <laughs> it just guzzles water every time it sees it. Nice. Um, so they're, they're drinking well, they're eating doing now great. are they drinking out of standing water or is that from water that's so both actually um i have a like little um i don't know where they went right here like these little ketchup cups that you can get mm -hmm. at the like fast food places i uh i just wash those and fill them with uh ro water and stick them right in like next to their basking spot <clears throat> and they'll just go right up and drink out of it um i uh most of the time in the morning, I'll take both of them out just to socialize a little bit. And while I'm holding them, I'll just hold up a cup of water in front of them and they'll drink out of my hand. That, cool. That's kind of my routine. Very, very cool. Yeah, man. And, uh, it's... I, I like that a lot. Um, you know, I've, I've noticed with some wild caught animals, whether it's snakes or lizards, they don't drink standing water in my experience. Uh, mm hmm. And so I have to spray them down or they will actually, even if water's right next to them, they will dehydrate to death. And, uh, yep. <clears throat> yeah, but with, with babies, I try to kind of do the same thing is usually put some standing water in there. Um, even if I have to kind of stick their face in it a little bit, and let mm -hmm. them tongue flick it. Yeah. I, uh, that, that's kind of how I was at first, the first couple days of them being out of the egg, I was, taking them out of the enclosure, putting them in a tub with, you know, a half an inch of water in it so that mm -hmm. they can, like, get the feel of it, you know, keep them clean, and then also they can, you know, make sure that they're drinking. Um, I will say my female, she will not drink standing water unless it's in my hand, <laughs> like, out of yeah. a cup. Um, otherwise, she drinks by 
the Mist King comes on, and she can get, like, if the Mist King's here, she could sit right here, and she'll just stick her face up and let it spray her in the face for a minute and a half. Um, the male, though, he will drink standing water all day. He will cling to the wall and go down and stick his face into it while he's upside down, and he'll <laughs> drink out of that all day. Nice. Yeah, the, the cups of water, um, I, I don't think many uh, beginners realize... All right, there's the water the water dish that's the one that they're thrashing and defecating in, right? Now, mm-hmm. obviously, we don't really want them drinking out of that. But that's still a fact that we have to live with, that they're going to make that watery mess every day. After you've cleaned it, they're going to go in and thrash it. By later that day, it's essentially mud, right, and not really drinkable water. And then there's probably also poop in it, bacteria buildup, and so that's essentially not good for them to be drinking. So what we do to still accommodate for the necessity to drink and stay hydrated and get clean water, we have little cups of water hanging around in our closures. And those little mm-hmm. cups of water are less likely to be thrashed because they, for one, they can't get into it, but they'll still try. They're dumb, but they'll still try. <laughs> um, and though if you place it somewhere up high or on a ledge or out of like a, a, a uh, any any type of stationary thing where you can set a little bowl, um, those would be really ha- helpful for keeping your animal and giving it still available drinking water rather than yep. having it on the one source, which is the, the pan of water. I think that's one of the best things that you can do, <clears throat> like one of the best decisions that you can make for your enclosure for a tree monitor too, because they don't want to go to the ground to drink. If, yeah. if you can figure out a way to get like, I don't know, like a, like one of the, uh, how would I even explain it? Like like one of those twist in like rings that you can get yeah. for like I don't know, like bird feeders or whatever. Yeah. Uh, something that you could fit like a deli cup into. Yep. Put two of those in there. Just twist them into a branch or like zip tie something to a yeah. branch that you could stick a deli cup in. And like I, I, said, I what I do is I have a deli cup and I uh, tie. Um, basically a little rope around it and then i string that into the wall right i'll have like mm-hmm. a, a fish hook screw or something and i'll tie that to that so that's my stationary cup now and then i i all i have a deli cup that sits in it and i take that one out and i change that one regularly so that way that cup doesn't get tipped over because when you have the little cups and they're just sitting there they'll just thrash them around they'll, they'll they'll fling them across the cage and and whatever and then you basically don't have your clean water anymore yeah so right. um you know, I have that stationary setup where I just slip a cup into a little into a thing, or I'll have a heavy crock dish that they can't tip over, or something like that. You know, I and think some of the. Go uh, ahead. I no, uh, you, I was just you are say, the guest, or you. Get <laughs> I was just going to say, I think one of the biggest takeaways as a new keeper, or even an intermediate or experienced keeper, it doesn't even matter, is just variety is the key, um, mm-hmm. and options are the key. Um, I, I can't tell you the number of times where I've had this one friend in particular say, I don't care if you give them a 30 degree spot and a 200 degree spot, just give them a radius, let them choose. Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah, that's, give that's them, actually awesome. give them spraying water, give them standing water, give them running water. Like as many options as you can provide, do it. If you right. can fit three basking spots and still have a cool spot, do it. Like just whatever you still have the standard of the animal to live up to. But as long as you can meet that, if you want to go beyond it, like 
add multiple hides, add more ways of consuming water, add more basking spots, like more things to climb on, whatever it is. There's so much variety that you can do. And I like that, you know, if, when you're learning a new animal, um, give them all those options, especially if it's uh, something you're not, you don't have a lot of experience with. And then you can refine those options as you get to know your own animal and your setup yeah. and you see what they use, then take away some of the options they don't use for whatever mm -hmm. reason they don't like them. And don't forget them because it might work for another animal and go through right. the same process again for, in, you know, we want a standard kind of cookie cutter um, example and care sheet um, for a there lot of things. Yeah, but yeah. there there just isn't one, you know. Sometimes right. you just have to learn to give, like you said, give options. But yeah. one of the biggest things too with what you said also is know what you're taking away. Because if it's like, oh, I'm taking away its eighth out of or its eighth hide and it has seven more, like and it doesn't use this one, whatever, but like I, I can't tell you the number of times where I've seen people um oh, it doesn't drink standing water, so I'm not gonna provide it. Still provide yeah. it just in case because right. how can you know it's not using it 20 uh, like are you keeping an eye on it 24 7 you don't right. know if it never goes to it right. so there's right. still things that it's like just leave it in there yep it doesn't it, hurt you to leave it just leave it on that um with my blue trees i've never seen them drink standing water but the right. way that i approach them is i have a <clears throat> a large tote that if they wanted to they could actually swim in and it has about six awesome. inches of water at the bottom um they don't use that. I've never seen them go in there, but it's there and where it's positioned, it actually adds a lot of humidity just into the cage itself. Mm -hmm. Then I have suspended next to their favorite hide, um, a dish, like a, a little, I don't know, a Tupperware type uh -huh. of dish that is suspended. That's fresh water. And it's close enough where I can reach it. I can dump it out in the cage fill it back up with fresh, clean water, and it's suspended. They don't ever have to really be exposed to get to it. Uh, I've never seen them drink out of that, but it's there. And then I spray down the enclosure. until. Right. Yeah, it's like, oh, I was just going to say my uh, my torch monitor. I never see her swim in her water bowl anymore. It's a 10-gallon aquarium. <laughs> she's she's still rather small. It's a, it's a planted aquarium. I don't see her <laughs> swim in it. You know how I know she uses it? Because every time she goes in it, she knocks the freaking heater off the wall in it. Because I have like one of those <laughs> tube aquarium heaters. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see her in it, so you would think she's not using it. But every day when I come home from work, that tube heater is dislodged from the wall from her swimming through it and kicking it off. So right. it, it's just something like that. Like, it's still Until awesome. Until you find out she's provide, just yeah. doing it so that she can mess with your day, get a little interaction. Dude. <laughs> Before I switched to the filter that I have now, I had one of those like over the side tank filters. Yeah. She had a full, like I said, it she's a small monitor still, but she had a full ten gallon aquarium, plants, rocks she can hide under, a hide she can go in, fish she can eat, all this stuff. Every day when I get home from work, she would have knocked off the top of the filter and she'd be in the back of it. <laughs> Just laying there. <laughs> And what you got? You got this big spot, and you're going in the jacuzzi. You're like, what are absolutely, you doing? <laughs> yeah, dude. You know, not to get too off track with everything, but to kind of bring it back. So, you've now been successful with um, hatching out babies, right? Mm -hmm. 
How one? How long did those babies take for you to hatch? For them to hatch. A hundred and fifty-six days. I was expecting 155, and they went. So, let me go from from day one. So, we actually had problems with this clutch too, and I'll get into that also. Um, so, how many how many clutches were there before this? Two. The first one was completely infertile. The second one. So the first clutch was three eggs, all infertile. She scattered all of them. Ate two of the eggs. Um, the uh, the second clutch, there was two infertile, one was fertile. And I that's the one where I'm like really leaning. If I had set things up sooner, if I had maybe fed her a little bit more, like um, supplemented uh, her foods more, um, we might have gotten more fertiles, whatever. Um, two of those eggs failed right away. Like within two weeks, they collapsed. That other egg went 145 days and died. Sucked. <laughs> Learning, yeah. still learning though. Um, that's, that's the fun. That's like, it's a bittersweet. Um, Matt, yeah. Matt Costin tells me you can't have the sweet without the bitter sour. Without <laughs> yeah. the sour. Yeah, dude, it's so true. Um, truer words have never been spoken. I'll, I'll put it that <laughs> way. Um, but yeah, anyways, so both of those gestation was 28 days so from the day that i saw them actually breed and that she was receptive it was 28 days later she laid her eggs on the dot uh so this time it was god uh november 29th and i saw her being receptive she took down three day old quail that's my favorite thing to feed them up until the grasshoppers um that's been like the 100% thing that gets her cycling is uh, sometimes I'll temp cycle. Mm -hmm. And so I will cut off the mist king, dry out the cage, drop their basking temps. Like I'll basically turn off one light completely and then drop the other one down from 130 degrees down to like 110. And I'll leave it for two or three weeks. And I'll still feed her kind of heavily through, and I'll, <laughs> I'll feed him less. Um, and then on that last like three or four days, I'll just pack her full of food as much as she'll take, and she'll eat three day old quail at a time. Nice. And typically, any other time, if he tries breeding her, she runs away. I do that, and then next day I bump the temp back up, like clockwork. That's there. awesome. 12 hours later, every single time he is chasing her down. Usually the first day she's not receptive. I give her another big meal. The next day, uh, she is literally like courting him almost. I, so, I've literally seen her wedge herself under him and lift her tail and wrap it around his, trying to like force breathing nice. on him. So now you said temp cycling. How long do you do you cut the temps for? Uh, it depends. Oh, I'm sorry, I've, cut cut the mist king for. Yeah, yeah, I've been playing with it lately. So when you cut the mist king, you're obviously gonna have to be a lot more on top of hydration yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm. Two, so this three is times okay. A day. Like the 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 change and all that is sort of what we want. So you guys, as long as you keep up with drinking a little bit of food and some basking, you'll you'll be okay. You know. Um, mm -hmm. 
but as far as like really giving them a change of temperature and then going back it's kind of what we've been working on as far as getting harder species to breed mm -hmm. right on top of the ball. Uh, so basically what what started it the first time was um i was working a bunch and one of their basking lights burned out and i was just like you know what i've heard kai say he's <laughs> tried temp cycling i'm just gonna leave it for a couple days and uh ended up leaving it for like five or six days replaced the light and uh next day they were breeding <laughs> literally so and, for uh, all the for all the listeners out there so many strides in reptile keeping have been made with a little bit of neglect <laughs> right. uh, and then we figure that out when it's like all right that happened because I think, what, what were you doing? You were going through a move at the time, too, no? So that was the first time. And then <clears> the <throat> second time they bred, I was moving. And so this room is way colder than the room that they were in at my last place. And they're on uh, dimmers. So I, I can, like, just dial down their lights, which is, like, the most convenient thing I've ever owned in my life <laughs> for reptile keeping. It's literally just, like, a dial you, you just turn. And I'm like, oh, if I want it colder, I just twisted a little um but uh yeah we moved and i think it was just you know the day of them being in the tubs and out in the cold because it was october and then into this enclosure and figuring out the ambience so like i said i didn't have the like lower heat in this enclosure when we got here so it was also just colder in general um so i think that temp changed there like really did it mm -hmm. and so that was the second time i got eggs from them and the third time i uh i just to walk through the whole process i um feeding normal feeding normal cut the mist king off and i just kind of played it by ear i waited until i could see that the bedding was all dry and because i didn't want it creating any more humidity on its own um so I, I dried out the bedding and I just started, you know, hand spraying her to get her drinking and drinking out of a cup in my hand. Um, and then I just kept feeding her. I started feeding her like fattier stuff and like more eggs. So she is picky as hell. Um, she would never take rodents. She wouldn't take dubia roaches for the first year I had her. She would only eat crickets and quail eggs. And then I got, I started ordering like bulk quail online because you can get these like little chicken nugget sized dale quail they're yeah. usually like 75 cents each they're perfect um, size wait wait literally wait, wait. perfect size where are you getting these from um order from I, rodent pro okay okay that's right like rodent pro or something yeah, yeah so it's yeah. like 75 dollars for a hundred count 25 dollars shipping it's i think that's what i used to pay so like a hundred dollars for 75 of them and she would eat typically she would eat one or two and not eat again for two days. Like she, two or three days. She would like, she does this thing where like, if she doesn't want food, she doesn't just walk away from it. Like if I put it up to her, she does this yeah. and like squints away from it. Yeah. And, uh, she do that all the time. But then when I would drop the temp, I would start rolling, uh, like, like hopper mice and egg yolk. And she would take them that way. Yeah. And then I would, I would like, Oh God! What's the process called? I, I was gonna reference like a cooking term, like um, 
like dredging <laughs> so i would like <laughs> roll them in calcium and then egg and then back in the calcium <laughs> oh yeah yeah no i totally get it <laughs> yeah um but i would do that so she would eat that and then i would feed her um grasshoppers and then the last like week i would she would eat three quail at a time and they'd all be rolled in calcium some of them i'd like inject with water just to get her more fluids and then um i bump the temp up and this whole time i'm feeding the male less than usual so usually i'll feed him five or six like male dubia at a time yeah. now i'm feeding him like four ish at a time um like every other day every three days and uh just because you don't want them to get lazy because yeah. if they're overweight they're like they're not going to perform um awesome i just i gotta interrupt real quick to point that out to um feeding males differently than females and for some animals uh some species yeah feed the males keep them on a insect diet that's that's absolutely fine keeps the weight off of them that they're not using and then learn um your female and feed her accordingly you know it's okay to branch into Mm -hmm. i hear some of these people say that it's insect only Okay, if you're gonna do that, feed heavy. Just learn how yeah, to feed. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, heavy. Um, I, but uh, also, calcium needs to be a lot more, a lot, a lot more. Like in terms of, let's just keep it on topic with uh, prasinus, right? Um, I think going through. I mean, even just myself with the mangroves or um, other people going through eggs. Um, I first got eggs that were. Uh, what what they they're called egg oocytes they're basically little mm-hmm. dimples or craters on the eggs right and that's like um I, I, someone else told me that it was me poorly calcifying my food items and the animals absorbing it poorly as well and so i went ahead and instead of just doing two times a week three times a week i went and did every feeding like 90 something percent yep. of items exactly that's what i'm doing now with their dusting yeah. every single food item yeah. when i'm trying to get her breeding yeah. um so dust I, every I, item. I would first have those dimples and then when i got to actually good putting more and more calcium my eggs came out smooth pearly white and i think mm-hmm. you went through the same thing with your eggs um from my last time around yeah. yeah so i actually thought this was like my worst clutch of eggs because they had the exact thing that he's talking about they're these tiny 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 uh like almost like little windows in the egg um like a bunch of them like they're little bumps on them um i through more reading found that it can either be a like he mentioned um like calcium deficiency or b she held the eggs too long and so it's almost like the process started of her um like almost reabsorbing them. Mm. And so that that's kind of what I was alluding to when I said I had a uh, almost major mess up. So like I said, I dropped, dropped Miss Kane, dropped Temp, um, bumped her feeding a little bit, and then that last couple days like really slammed her with food. And she was a freaking balloon, man. And uh, that next that that night i raised the temp back up and this was over like three weeks i think two and a half three weeks um that temp or that night i raised the temp back up after she ate like three quail at once which is a feat because these things are like i'm surprised she can even fit two of them in her stomach let alone three (laughs) and um 
raised the temp up the next morning, not only did I turn the mist king on and let it run for four or five minutes, I also had my giant green handled hand, uh, like hand sprayer right here, and I simultaneously was soaking the entire cage with it. And yeah. uh, I went to work. I came home, and he was chasing her around trying to breed. Awesome. Literally that quick. Um, yeah. So they bred. Everything went well. Um, one thing I'll touch on real quick is the reason I said earlier that it's really important to have a second enclosure. And you were mentioning you have a, uh, a trio. The reason that I, I was like really into the idea of that, and then I found that it can actually be a product for disaster is because if you have a tree monitor like mine, who's the most sociable lizard in the world, um, she lays eggs, comes out just fine. If, if the male walks anywhere near her basking, she will literally open mouth, chase him down and try to kill him. Hmm. I had to rip both of them out, put him in another enclosure and let her alone. It happened three times now. And the third time I'm like, I shouldn't even have let it try this time. Yeah. Um, it's that female but, dynamic. It's uh, once she's claimed the nesting, the cage that or it's uh, it's like what they do in the wild. They, they claim it a mound or whatever they're laying. Yeah. Right? And, and so if another female comes around, um, she's going to be a threat. And so, yeah. And I definitely in. want to like make that, you know, a, a known thing. Like, you know, I messed up, but I don't want somebody else to make my same mistake. Because what if they they did lose their male or their female because they didn't remove them? And so right. I just don't think it's worth the risk. Um, it also, I mean, I mean, if you risk losing eggs because of uh, the male interfering, or you know, your the 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 main thing would be also for the female to be egg bound or get. Uh, go through those complications because she doesn't, she can't lay with him around, you know? Right. I've been, I, I've actually seen so many scenarios of like, A, the male killed the female after she laid, the female killed the male after she <laughs> laid, or the, the male and the female were fine, but the male walked into the <coughs> nest box and ate all the eggs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's, there's far too many risks with very little reward. Just have an extra, like I literally bought the Zen Habitat enclosure just to, or my roommate did. Um, he he's the one that actually owns the mail. We kind of went in on this together, um, but uh, he bought a Zen Habitat to have for a second enclosure for the mail. So now, you know, they breed, and we noticed all <laughs> breeding stopped, and we give them a couple days. We're gonna take the mail out um, and just let them chill because let me tell you trying to get them acclimated to each other after this is a nightmare because yeah. she smells him. He smells her. They know that the last time they saw each other, they were trying to kill each other. So it literally, instead of being a one or two day process, took me four freaking months to get them back in the same enclosure without them trying to kill each other. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not worth it. And it, it's so much easier if you can just remove him give her two or three weeks and you should just be able to take the female out, let them see each other, throw them in together. Yeah. You work yeah. so hard, right? You, your goal is to get eggs. So right after the breeding is done, he's not necessary. He's not needed anymore. And right. so just take him out. He's more of a complication when she gets into that area. It's, it's all about 
options and availability for the female. Mm -hmm. If the male is eating much more, getting to the water more, basking more, hogging stuff essentially, right? Getting to it first, um, she'll just get the scraps, the, 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 you know, to bask less because he's annoying, and then you know the water and getting clean water for for me the gravid females. Um, I make sure that I go through every day with the little spritzer. Um, I personally don't use a misting system anymore, only because I feel like I lose the whole um, bonding factor, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, some people need that to to accommodate other 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 high humidity needs, right? So, you know, but uh, for me, I, I get to I don't lose that whole bonding thing, and I make sure that my females drink. Um, another thing that I do that I've also taught other people as well where um i just take a, a syringe and i inject mice small little mice and i fill them up with water um sometimes liquid calcium but most of the time just water so that way uh, as they're eating they get a mouthful of water because they're not always going to drink and they're, they're i'm not always going to be able to spray them in the mouth and so it's a guaranteed that they eat and drink Mm -hmm. um, yeah i like that idea a lot i <laughs> i started doing that sometimes when i noticed she looks not necessarily dehydrated but like i can tell she hasn't been drinking as yeah. much as she should i'll do that um or like just give her like a straight up soaked quail just so yeah. she gets something um That's yeah so that was say. yeah uh, so today i'm feeding my sand monitor i will soak uh like earlier today i was just soaking the mice and dripping wet because there's just a, such a strong food response they don't care if it's yeah right mm -hmm. oh yeah um but Need no so that was <laughs> that was my uh like first big mistake that i made in this whole process was just not removing the mail um like i said it, it just added so many complications it delayed breeding it delayed um just the laying. animals being yeah. comfortable laying everything man um the second thing was i uh was kind of too trusting of my temp gun so everything was going just perfect and then, uh, like I said, I, I actually, like, in a notebook, write down, document everything. The day that I, um, I drop temps, the day that I raise them back up, the day that I see copulation. And usually, the time from first copulation to her laying is 28 days. This last time around, we hit 31 days, and she still wasn't going. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was December 27th. So I started losing my mind man and i could see she was getting kind of frantic mm -hmm. and she was like pacing around like something wasn't right she wouldn't lay but she kept going in the lay box so i'm like what's going on um i i tempt it and uh it was saying 87 and i'm like that's a little high but that shouldn't be that high that she's not using it um i finally started like comparing it to other temp sources and i realized the temp gun was reading like four degrees low so it oh, was wow. like 91 in her lay box and so she wasn't laying because it was drastically too hot so yeah. i had to <laughs> open all the doors of the cage uh put a fan on it turn down the uh basking spot i turned the one off completely turned the other down so then the only thing that there was was the heat below and uh 30 minutes after I did that, she went in, didn't come back out. Nice. And she so laid, cute. she was healthy after, and uh, the the eggs, and I, I looked at them, and I'm just like, man, these things are shot. 
and I mean, obviously they weren't. We got two two babies out of it. Uh, one was infertile. Um, we had three fertile eggs. One of them failed in the egg. It was fully developed. I think trying to determine still like did the egg rotate at some point and i just couldn't tell um i had marked them but i don't know if it rotated before i marked it because you know typically how the babies are like on their back with their head curled over Mm -hmm. it was on its stomach with its head under itself okay and so it like either drowned or couldn't get out and suffocated something and so it was fully developed and yeah it sucked um Did yeah, you check it for an egg tooth? Huh? Did you check it for an egg tooth? Were there I any did. I, I didn't see one. There okay. wasn't any scratches. Yeah, I think it was just because of the position it was in. It was like stuck upside down like this. Okay. Um, that's that's my best guess. But but yeah. So long story short, um, that uh that temp gun is no longer <laughs> like yeah. It was ninety one pushing ninety two degrees in her lay box and. And so she held her eggs an extra four days, and I think that's why they had those marks on them. Um, hey, you know, know you're you're I'm around. You're you're causing me to think about my temp guns. I'm gonna grab grab another one plus a uh, like just your standard thermometer, basically. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So one thing that somebody was explaining to me this I this dude's words like the gospel to me. It's Damon Kai. You know who he is. Yeah. Um, he is so smart with this stuff and it's so incredible. I couldn't even begin to like recite how he explained it to me, but it's basically something to do with the, like the way that these sensors, like the, you know, the 15, $20 temp guns that you get off Amazon, mm-hmm. um, the way that they interact with certain materials and like the way that they read, like the heat as radiation, like they're not meant to read air temperatures. They're meant to read surface temperatures and the surface temperatures, depending on the material can throw it off. And there, there's so much to it. And so it's like in one scenario, your temp gun could be great. In the next scenario, it's going to be drastically off. Yeah. And so it's just trying to figure that out. Like it almost makes me want to get like one of those actual, like not really, but like one of those, like, petco <laughs> probe yeah. ones and yeah. just stick it in the nest box you know like do something other than a temp gun and that's that's just another one of those things that i was talking about earlier with variety yeah like have multiple ways to read the temperature yeah have, it, absolutely that would have saved me pre- so much issues precision um to figure out exactly what's what i mean if we're going back and uh, realizing what cody's mentioned um they're very specific from 87 and 90 degree nest box to wanting it to be 84 degrees is that's that's very specific it, it doesn't yeah. see it doesn't feel like a huge difference but it's a huge difference yeah let me tell yeah. you the second that thing hit 84 she was gone and i didn't yeah. see her till the next morning and she laid and so um getting your exact precise measurement whether you're using a thermostat a thermometer as well and then also your surface temperature gun and then multiple things like that having many thermometers within an enclosure um basically gives you a a a real lowdown instead of just guessing um right that's Mm -hmm. uh that's where i i I want people to to take away from this is um i myself have tried to eliminate 
the get because you're going to do a lot of guessing. You know, you're always going to be like, oh, man, I don't know what's really happening here. You ask somebody else this and that. Um, some So, you know, you'll get to a point where you possibly with this breeding stage and you really want to get everything fine tuned um, and having a very functional cage. And really with uh, the heat sources applied to your enclosure in certain areas will really be making it break for you. If you're not really paying attention to those and you're just uh, heating it all, uh, all any which way and having it go uh, spiking really high without, you know, making sure temperatures are just at a, at a good, at a good, at a good maximum, but not too, too high where everything is just out of blitz. And like he, like we mentioned where your, your nest box can be 91 degrees and you're not even really know, you know, and mm -hmm. so that one thing offsets the whole process and if it really you're does. obviously trying to get to breeding i mean there's it's going to be hard because you're 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 not paying attention to that one thing mm -hmm. and uh you know it can be the same thing for non-breeders okay so you know just beginners listening to this your surface temperature for basking is very key it mm -hmm. can't be 150 and 160 it can't be 200 it has to be like 125 130-ish you can get into the realm of 140 as long as you have a good space and gradient between when you're using the, using the right type of bulbs right but i don't recommend you just blasting a really hot lamp putting a a, a, a log underneath the thing about 10 or a foot of, uh, inches away you want to make sure that the distance that you have is reading 125 135 ish and if you need to and it's not then you'll adjust and raise up if you're getting too high of a reading then you're going to lower it by only one or two inches and that's the actual site or the bulbs if you have an ability to to <clears throat> move the bulbs but say that your bulbs are stationary at the very top you'd be actually moving the basking site an either up or down to, to accommodate. That's why I love these dimmable uh, switches that I got, just because you can just twist that thing. Oh, oh, it's reading 155. I just dial it down. All right, it's 130. I'll leave it there. The other one, it's 130. Well, I want a gradient, so I'm going to take it down to 115. And I like having it a little bit away from the surface, so that way it actually provides like a larger platform so they can you know, kind of move inwards, get the 135, move out, get 120, so they can have a lot of options nice i think mm. i think there's some now usually i use you know about 130 for my basking spots um you can go hotter and i know people have used it hotter i don't think it's necessary but yeah. also when you use a hotter if you're going to use a hotter basking spot make sure that there's ambience around there that gradually go out and give yeah. you those other temperatures. Exactly. Or, um, a lot of times what people don't understand about the stacks, the Rita stacks, is you'll have 160 on the top, okay? It's not that the animal's necessarily going to use that. You might see them out there every once in a while, but it's because going down in that stack, you're then going to 140, 130, you know, 120, 110. It's all the rows under there that, that act as a more of a hidden safer place for that animal to thermoregulate all right yeah it's when we see yep. the pictures of people reading the 160 on the surface 
that it gets confusing sometimes because right. yes, that top board is 160 or higher, but what you're really concerned about, what you're really looking for is because you want that gradient to drop. So that next level down is a nice 130, 140 where that animal can get to where they need and stay somewhat hidden and use that amount. And then it drops throughout the stack. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to, for the listeners out there um, to point that out and something I had to learn myself. Also burns. So if it's like mm-hmm. a, a thin skinned monitor, like uh, Kimberly Rocks or Indicus type of monitors, or just, I mean, I've seen it burn just uh, any species of monitor. Is if you use a bulb super focused or a spot bulb that's really focused and you have a slightly cooler cage ambiently and the bulb's working really hard and their animal is really close to it and you have such a crazy basking hot, hot spot, you're gonna get some burns. You're, you'll basically get thermal burns and blisters and things like that. <laughs> that become wounds and um you basically are you know not having your lamp and everything like that cued in and set up correctly right yeah so um i i myself uh don't i mean i okay i used to use like 75 br30s and 90 watts and stuff like that when i had extremely tall enclosures um like seven and eight foot enclosures or essentially i, I didn't know how to heat the bottom so i was using those because um they basically heat up an enclosure really well but um now where i live now in the climate that i have and also how i have my cages now which are basically more horizontal than they are tall um i use uh these lamps called the br30s and br40s and they're they're used by the chameleon community because chameleons like to get up there and burn themselves underneath those basking lamps and they'll burn their cast and stuff like that and burn their back so they're a soft mm-hmm. white bulb and uh, they're called Dura, Duramax uh, Phillips. They're just, yeah, Duramax Phillips light bulbs. And they are, are really useful bulbs for cages that aren't so tall and to limit burns. You can actually have it quite kind of close to the, to the basking spot, creating a pretty good gradient, but it, it's not blistering hot like a halogen bulb. So, right. Um, those are the bulbs that I currently use more so than anything else. Yeah. Oh, no, man. Uh, so Sorry, as far I'm as I'm stretching out here in the <laughs> now, as far as you like getting into just other 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 tree monitors and things like that, um, you have the a black tree, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I. Uh... I don't think she's going to be good for breeding, I will say. Um, just judging by her demeanor, I don't know. She, I mean, she's obviously wild-caught. She's like six years old. She's um seems to be one of you're those... Just, uh, you're just still looking there. for a male, right? Kind of. She's she's a little special, though. Um, she, uh, she requires a little bit of extra care. I think she has some neurological issues because her... Uh, she can't catch her own food. Uh, there's a there's a huge delay in her response time. Like if I if I put food here, like if this is food and this is her, if I move it away, it'd be like that. Yeah, like, she's probably blind, probably too. There, there's like a solid second and a half delay on any of her reaction time, and it's it's really unfortunate. Um, so why I have to hand feed her everything. Yeah. And she's pretty reluctant to eat. Sometimes she'll go off food for like a week and a half at a time. Um, 
And so she, I don't think she's an animal that I'll ever try to breed because I, I don't. What if want she just starts cycling? <laughs> right? No, dude, I, know. Uh, I just I would feel terrible if I put that on her and then something happened. Yeah, so yeah. I'm I'm basically to the point where I'm just like she's pretty much just a pet at this point, and I I would like a pair of black tree monitors. I just don't think she would be a part of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, man, that, that happens, and it's unfortunate sometimes. But um, mm-hmm. I have a, a similar animal. Um, now, in my case, it's a male. So I'm giving him a little more credit than what a female has to do. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it sounds very similar. Right. Me. Yeah, like, based on her – just her mannerisms alone and, like, her ability to, like, navigate her enclosure – if she did manage to cycle eggs, I'm not confident she would even be able to bury them. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I wouldn't. Type of thing. You know so I, I don't want to put that on her. I, I, so I have, so everybody knows Lauren, right? Yeah. Um, so Lauren is my uh, extremely blue phase Kylie monitor that uh, everybody loves. Uh, this is one yeah, of my. One this of my, guy right one, here. Yeah. I'll take prized, her off your hands. One of my prized, prized animals, right? And so. She's, she's, uh, she doesn't have any neuro, neurological issues, but she does miss food quite often. So I have a feeling that she's blind. Taking her to the vet, the doctor also kind of didn't see the whole, I guess, people looking through clearly, right? And so he says that the bottom part kind of looks, I guess, blurry. And so um, she misses food, kind of is off cue. And so I have to always hand feed her. I can leave food in a dish. She'll find it without a problem. But... Um, I used to think, dang, this female, uh, I don't think she's going to be able to, to breed and lay or anything like that, right? But, man, she did all of it on her own. She laid. Uh, she's laid two clutches so far, um, all of them. One of them with the male, I didn't really witness any breeding. Um, it was also very short. We're only really a, like a couple of days together. But after being with him, she basically laid a set and then another set after um, none of those eggs. They actually went a certain distance kind of looked good but after uh, maybe a few months i just i cut the eggs and they're like yolky inside or just oh uh, really i don't know what happened yeah so um now this animal i I basically underestimated so you know you don't you may not want to do that just yet because uh coming down the line she may lay all of a sudden and you're taking care of her so well that um, the animal does go through, and it, it's it's got these instincts and senses essentially built into them, right? And so I, I don't think they, they they lose that when they come across um, yeah. having to go through the process. Um, I, I I I have some pictures and even videos of of Lauren laying, and man, it's it was surprising because I didn't think she'd be able to find the nest bin, mm-hmm. find the hole, how to use it, you know, all the all the stuff, but. Uh, she's really cute in so uh man hmm. I, I wouldn't say go ahead and breed it but treat it like if it was normal and if she does go through the process you know then and i'm all for you know at, right. least, at least carrying her through through the yeah. process even if you don't breed it i've been surprised before you know sometimes i, I know i don't give animals enough credit um so with what you're saying kai you know what yeah i've learned that lesson a few times so <laughs> but yeah, ultimately cody it's gonna be your decision you know if you get her right uh, yeah her up no, or it's not. like it's like my uh my blue tree that i had also um like i mentioned how well he turned around and everything mm-hmm. but this dude he uh 
I had them for five months, and it was just night and day, like, the different animal that he had turned into. And then next thing I know, like, I woke up for work one morning, and he was literally having a seizure on the bottom of his enclosure. Oh, man. And uh, about an hour later, he died and had a necropsy done, and uh, they were like, yeah, it was neurological, like, Physically huh. speaking, this animal was flawless. Like he didn't have any extra fat. He was perfect shape, condition. Um, but yeah, he had he had neurological issues, so he died from it. Yeah. And yeah, had him five months, and uh, he was the biggest freaking tree monitor I've ever seen. This dude yeah. was massive. Like I have a picture of him on my roommate's arm, and he was like just nose to vent like from his wrist like up to here yeah it was he was a beast it, it sucks still so that's why i'm like i'm actively trying to find a blue tree right now i i'd prefer it not be wild caught but like i'm i'm hounding everyone that i could find like you got babies <laughs> right now like i want a blue tree right now just yeah the, the let, let me crazy. help you let me give you money the demand yeah. is crazy man it's just yeah. so wild yeah it's you know they're i mean they still are a good size monitor and if you can get them really good and all that stuff like that and have be rewarding um they're they're a really good captive but um man you know you've seen people that are just having disaster a disaster of a time um yeah and uh, hard to acclimate they, they got them from some poor resource or something like that and they just mm -hmm. set them up for failure you know yeah, and then mm -hmm. they, they started off in a bad condition, and it sucks because a lot of people are just, like, misguided on their, like, basic info. And so, yeah. like, I literally saw a picture the other day of a dude that had a adult male blue tree monitor in a 10-gallon tank with cocoa fiber. Mm -hmm. Animal can't even turn around. Like, I mean, yeah. e even, a, even a 18 by 3 by 3 is too small dude um, yeah and that, it's a, it's a shame that people think that's okay that's a highly recommended one um and it's not it's not it's a, okay to raise a young one no problem and yes. to even house one for a little bit but to accommodate everything and go through all the life cycles stuff like that, that that's what's more yeah like i would say up until it hits a sub adult that'll be all right like if you got a juvenile the three by three by 18 those are whatever um, those are fine, but like as soon as you got like a sub adult or an adult, like it should not be in anything less than a four by four enclosure. You know, they really, really surprised me. Um, they're the longest monitors I have, even with the, uh, the sand monitors, uh, -huh. uh blue trees are pushing probably three and a half to four foot where the, I think the sand monitors max that I have right now is maybe three and a half foot. So they got them beat by a good six inches or so. Um, maybe in a, even a little longer by now, but right. they will scale a wall. To, now, their enclosures are five foot tall. Um, they'll scale up the side of this and clear that whole cage in two jumps. And, oh, yeah, uh, dude. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it, they it really move. surprised me how fast they can move. And with such accuracy, too, if you got yep. stuff in there. Um, yeah, they get going. Uh, it's like uh, my what will be my biggest monitor that i have at least like weight wise is the torch monitor mm -hmm. she's still very recluse she's getting better just slow but sure. probably a girl yeah <laughs> i'm 
I'm like certain it's a female. I mean, uh, uh, most of uh, most of my males are really outgoing. Um, even wild caught ones. It's the girls that are super timid. Even 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 captive bred ones. They're just they take longer to start. They they take longer to come around. Imprinting is a lot more difficult because they don't come around. And mm. yeah, it's uh, it's a total total behavior thing. It's it's with most monitors too. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Man, yeah. um, so you're are you gonna look to to uh, pair that torch monitor up? I would very much like to. Um, yeah, we're I trying to. When it's, it's gonna happen. I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to find a male, but I saw two of them I, floating around not too long ago. Someone yeah, same. Um, I I'm trying to be picky about the one that I get because I know that there's even though they're a very already like scarce the one, species the one by hasani the i'm not sure if you know who that is uh he's torch monitor on instagram right oh really uh, yeah it's uh this guy that used to be on facebook and he also is a dog breeder as well but um he has the the type that you want basically the very typical black melanistic look with the orange snout mm. and the slight the slight white tinge that comes in the bottom chin nice um, that's that's yeah. the I iconic look of the torch monitor so to give you a little bit uh more of a idea of what we're talking about here um that it's been discovered that there's i guess multiple localities of them and the one locality mm -hmm. doesn't darken up as much so typically a torch monitor is as as a hatchling, it's gonna look almost ident identical to a quince monitor, like yeah. nearly identical. Um, if you know what you're looking for, you could see the color variation, but they get the same patterning, the same ocelli, everything. It's just yeah. the tinge of black that they start with is like a different shade. It's kind of weird, um, huh. but they I joke start off similar. Dark melanis. Yeah. <laughs> I call them. I, uh, uh, dark melanis. Yeah, man. Um, but uh, anyway, so, you know, as a quince monitor ages, it goes from black with yellow spots to yellow with just right. uh, some black lines down it. Um, the torch monitor goes from that same pattern, and then it covers up all the yellow and turns to, like, a full black animal with, like, an orange face, a little bit of light colored on the chin, like he was saying. The other locality of them doesn't darken up all the way, so it maintains. It it's almost like like a washed out like yeah melanis like a washed yeah like a washed out melanis yeah yeah. Uh, currently, uh, John and Guy have a couple of those. They're essentially a different, uh, I guess, a different island, and they just look a little bit. They you can still see very much so the pattern that they, that that they grew up with, rather than yep. just hearing right then some of the other torch monitors um and this is Branis Obar by the way um it's yeah. a part of the Indicus complex and so um just just so the beginners kind of know which type of animal we're talking about what to look up all right mm -hmm. it's an animal for the I, I in my opinion it's an animal for the the monitor geeks out there because dude it really is <laughs> well you think about it okay you just described you can have this really bright yellow animal or this off black kind of a gray animal, you know. It's like I want the gray animal for the monitor geeks and for yeah. people just getting into the hobby or looking at stuff. They're like, why would you take the gray animal? Yeah. So and so that's why I'm like, kittens. 
Yeah, and so I'm like, I it's already like a hard to come by animal. Like, if I'm yeah. gonna do it, I want to do it the way I want to. Like, I would love to one day breed uh, eastern indigos. I don't yeah. want to breed an eastern indigo to a Texas indigo or a Gulf right. Coast indigo. I want to do the one that I want to do. So I want like pure localities. So like I have a, um, a Jayapura green tree python. Mm -hmm. I want to breed it to another Jaya. I, I want pure <laughs> localities. You know, you're getting so, up there now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I'm trying to do things right. Like from the start, like the like one of the worst things that you can do, and I see it constantly as like a new keeper is like. I'm going to get this, 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 and this, and then I, and then go, you know what? I don't want these four, but I'm going to keep this one. Like yeah. puts more thought into it at the start and you'll have so much more success and be happier with where you are. Cause you're not flipping animals every week and like yeah. doing all this crazy stuff. Like or getting rid of them in a couple months when you've taken on way too much. But I mean, I see, I see people all the time buying, buying a ton of stuff that are all babies. And when it comes to really house them, yeah. Oh, you know what? I don't know if I like this. Right? The animal yep. grows them, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just too bad. And so that's that's what I'm trying to avoid. Like, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to buy. Like, I have my obor. I don't want to buy a pair and then go. You know what? I want to do this locale and then have to worry about rehoming them and then worrying if they're going to a good home and doing all this extra work. Like. I'm not trying to do all that. Like, right. I just want to they're, do it right from the start. They're wild, man. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, the 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 Obo, I used to have a dark melanist myself. Like it, it came it came darker, but it ended up being pretty light. Um, but really, I didn't know what I had. It was just I bought it off of the off of King Snake, and just to realize, man, like, hey, this is a, this is a cool looking monitor, right? But it, mm -hmm. it was just another type of Quincy that wasn't so high yellow from the from the get go. Um, mm -hmm. That's what started my uh, that was my my purchase. I've actually helped and raised more Indicus, but that was my my own, you know. And uh, probably like 2011 or something like that, I got I got myself one. And man, they're 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 an awesome species to work with. It's just uh, Dealing with that shyness you were mentioning, you know, um, if you can suck it up, handle that part of that uh, issue. And we're mentioning it earlier. Um, uh, it's called empty cage syndrome. Man, uh, it where, really is. Yeah, that, that animal is is there. Um, it's going to come out when you're not around. You're going to see a water dish and probably a tail tucked in the in a, in a tube. But that's all you're gonna get, you know. Yeah. And uh, unless you have a camera or you can sneak in and you get a good glimpse of it, uh, that's all you're gonna get because it's gonna disappear in about a minute when you take your eyes off of it. So, right. um, dude, like I, I swear, like when I first got into this stuff, like it was so crazy thinking about it too. Like, does like who is uploading these YouTube videos and why do they make everybody want to buy these animals? Like, are, are they getting paid <laughs> for this by like the importers? Like, like I, I see that's what got me into the quince monitors was, uh, so Eugene, he was one cause he had, um, yeah. Pazuzu. Yep. That was the name of it. He had Pazuzu. And then there was another one. Uh, this dude had a quince that was in a massive enclosure and the whole bottom was water. And it would just, I saw this YouTube video where it would just dive off the top of the enclosure into the water and swim out to him. And I'm like, man, I want that. And then I did this quince and it hates me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
They're like, there's, what did I do? There's a <laughs> shop nearby that uh, they have a, I would still say a baby, right? But it's a very young, young juvenile at this point. And, um, but it is just the most awesome example of a monitor. It's curious. It's out. It's friendly. I know the, the guys over at the shop have been handling them. Um, it's not flighty. And we're talking maybe like 16 inches, 18 inches, somewhere around there right now. And it is so tempting just because that animal's already showing some promise as far as just being a good captive. Mm -hmm, Do I need yeah. to get that project? No, I don't. Right. Do it exactly. But you see it and you're like, maybe I do need it. <laughs> like, right. like right. that's it's it's and then you end up with buyer's remorse right away after. Uh, right? like that's how happen. it goes. Yeah, dude. No, um I always think about man, can I have another eight foot enclosure? No. No. Nope. Yeah. nope. Yeah. Sure can't. Tied up but, already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you guys ever uh, browse Morph Market just to see what's on there? Dude, I actually get links. <laughs> People send me links every day, right? Like they're like, right. "Hey, look, look what this, look what this idiot is trying to sell." Don't you, right? <laughs> um, did, did you ever see the? Um, I don't even know who posted it, so I can't even say. But there was a uh, a blue tree monitor on Morph Market for thirty five hundred dollars that was super washed out. And it was like somebody just downloaded the, like the worst photo editing program and then just turned the saturation up to eleven. Oh man! That was this photo. Like this, the picture of this blue tree monitor. The background is turning blue <laughs> because they turned the saturation up so high. Thirty five hundred for a fresh import animal. Yeah, dude at a animal. shop in my city bought it. You know, oh, and he shows up and he's like, wait, this isn't as bright as the picture. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, as the whole thing goes with the blue trees themselves, the high demand, the awesome look, and yeah, then dude. importing them is getting harder. Oh, it's going to go. Uh, and see, here's, here's the worst part of it is I reached out to this dude because he's telling everybody he can't get it to eat. And I'm like, look, man. You just drop thirty five hundred dollars on this animal and you can't get it to eat. What's going on? Yeah. And he has it in his shop on the sales floor. This animal's scared out of its mind and it won't eat. I'm like, cover the enclosure. I will literally bring you a cup of grasshoppers for free. Just throw them Don't in there when it. you close tonight, and uh, and just cover the enclosure and let it eat. Like the last thing I want is this thing to die. Yeah. You know what he did instead? Put a bowl of fruit in with it. <laughs> I read online they eat fruit. Oh, I don't care what you read online. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's, man, it's a horror story. And like, I, my, my nature is I need to buy this animal to save it from this guy. But then I'm just gonna put thirty five hundred back in his pocket, so I can't. Do right? It. No, don't, don't. Yeah. I, I understand that, but you gotta fight. I, man, I wanted to buy a whole cage full of Nile monitors at a show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Why? Like 60 bucks a pop, and I'm just looking at him like, oh, just come home with me. I'll find you homes eventually, you know? But, right. Uh, well, dude, it's yeah. like, uh, what was it, Kai? Now, a year ago, I bought my first grasshoppers off of you. And, yeah. dude, listen to this. I, I, I started with one cage, and I'm like, you know what? I This might be all right. Next thing I know, I have a baker's rack <laughs> full of freaking grasshopper cages. Yeah. Well, yeah, Most just people don't understand. Room. Yeah, most people don't understand. You know, I uh, like. Don't get me wrong. I'm not gonna lie. The price is up there because it's uh, new. The the demand is crazy, but it also takes a lot to feed and heat those bad boys. You know, dude. I um, 
I've had people straight up be like, you you know, if you go lower on your price, I'll buy from you. And I'm just like, look, man, do you know how expensive it is going through a $4 thing of organic romaine lettuce per cage per day? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't lower my price. I'm barely breaking even. Right. <laughs> like... <laughs> but um, the prolificness, though, getting real down to the numbers off of buying 25 or 50 or how many you ever feel like you want to start with in a couple months with my guidance or Cody's guidance or whoever, you can end up with thousands. Dude, it was literally the best decision I've ever made was getting into that because Mm -hmm. now I'm, I'm consistently hatching like every six weeks I'm hatching like 1200 grasshoppers. And that's That's enough to feed all of my animals and then sell some. And now I'm doubling my breeding group so that I can sell more. And it's like, I have four monitor lizards that eat them. I have a mantis that eats it. I have a guy here that buys them for his sugar gliders that eat them. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Gastrophilus prasina, like the green keel belly lizards. We have four of those upstairs. They, They devour them. Everything eats them. And the baby it's tree like, monitors. The baby tree point. monitors, literally, the first thing that they ever ate was grasshoppers. And the one likes them so much, it will eat grasshoppers out of my fingers now. Dude, it's like farm to table type deal. Yeah, literally. But all, you're the farm and the table, too. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah literally, best choice I ever made was getting into yeah, those. Um, and so, you know, relating back to the tree monitors a little bit, because I. You know, even though we're, we're we're on off little tangents, but it's okay though. We actually covered quite a bit. The grasshoppers and helping you acclimate them have been wonders. Uh, sometimes mice don't work, and it's actually not always the the brightest thing to do because they'll get hooked on it and only eat mice sometimes, and it's kind of a little heavy if you're just doing rodents on the tree monitors. So the grasshoppers, what it is, is for me, it, it's taken out my necessity to need rodents because mm-hmm. of the, the beneficial factors. Don't get me wrong. Rodents are good when you need to pump them up a little bit and when you need to go have a female go through the cycling, all, all that stuff, right? But the grasshoppers, what they've done is they've replaced the, the protein and also catching them, you need to chase them down the grasshoppers and so it's a stimulus and it's a healthy food item and they're also much more meat to shell ratio compared to a large dubia now in the wild even though i know dubias aren't from you know um, indonesia but most roaches are terrestrial they're not really arboreal not mm. not not very many species at all. There are a couple species, but still they live in the soil, and so um, your tree monitors aren't really going to be eating them. And so the kind and shell ratio is quite different yep. compared to some other bugs, and so they'd be used to more. Katie did large grasshopper, soft shelled flying insects, um, and that's what the tree monitors really gravitate to when. The grasshoppers are thrown in um you know for example not just us here but uh the reptile whisperer uh, Catherine brown has acclimated i think a couple animals just from you know their their mm-hmm. their stagnant state where they're not really wanting to eat not really acclimating well and they've really just uh 
turned around completely because of the usage. And uh, there are quite a few other people that are going through the same thing where they'd love to introduce the grasshoppers to their diet. Um, it's obviously they're seeing it work with other people and their experiences as well. And at the same time, it takes out the necessity to use rodents so much. Yep. So uh, one thing I want to say too, I don't even know if I told you about this. So I uh, obviously, you know, I, I vended the Omaha uh, Nebraska reptile expo. Um, right. And I, all I sold was grasshoppers and uh, I had, Thank you. And I had uh, three separate people contact me afterwards to tell me that their animals had not been eating leading up to that. And the one girl said her her leopard gecko, of all things, hadn't eaten in three weeks. It wasn't taking dubias anymore. It was reluctant to take crickets. She gave it grasshoppers and it ate every single one of them and was like, super interested in everything it was super lively after and she was like this is the most my animals eaten in six months just mm -hmm. going to grasshoppers like um but the way that i can relate it back to tree monitors actually um i had been i mean since i got into monitors i've been like you know how can i get grasshoppers it's not a thing it's not a thing um i uh m my like the day I put my foot down and I was like, I need grasshoppers. And then I found out Kai was doing it. I was reading field studies on blue tree monitors. There was a guy that did a field study for, I think four weeks and every observed sighting of blue tree monitors eating in the wild, they were eating grasshoppers, every single sighting for four weeks. And then to take that even further, Every single dead animal, every single dead blue tree monitor that they found when they, like, you know, investigated its stomach contents, filled with grasshoppers, nothing else. Mm. That that was case closed for me. I need them. Because yeah, okay. if that's what they're eating 100% in the wild, why would I not do that? Right. I'll be talking to you again after the show, Kai. I guess I'm doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it's worth uh it's worth giving a shot it's just the consistency though so we've gone over this before you know if you got like other things that are kind of um you know their responsibilities of the day and you essentially can't mm -hmm. get to them you'll you'll fail you'll basically be buying it and you'll you'll end up uh having okay taking care of 25 no problem taking care of 2000 that's a problem yeah, if you don't have 15, 20 minutes a day minimum to dedicate to them, like it's yeah. it's going to be too much work. And when it's not for everyone. A, when you have a big collection too, so you know, obviously using them is not a problem, but growing them and accommodating for the space, the usage of what they eat, the electricity may not be an issue. It's actually feeding those bad boys because describing them, they're like a locust. And what locusts do and why grasshoppers were uh, regulated for – um, so long is because of agricultural threat, right? And so mm -hmm. they're scared of locusts destroying entire crops. All so farmland, yeah. Yeah, if you want to relate it to the grasshoppers, basically they need to eat and consume so much. And they're a diurnal bug. They're not a nocturnal one like most uh, crickets and roaches are that we use in the hobby. And even even the mealworms and stuff like that come out at nighttime when the lights are out. And so, um, you know, it's really really something that uh is different with these bugs they're chasing the sun eating 
and devouring whatever their plant is in the wild, and then that's it. It's just Speaking eat. of them being diurnal, um, Dean had sent me a study on them showing that because they are diurnal, uh, if you supplement that, like if you provide them with a UV light, you can actually naturally increase their uh, content of calcium and vitamin D3, which then translates to your animal. Nice. So like if you got an extra UV light laying around and you got a couple grasshopper cages, throw it on top of them and you're just going to benefit your animal that much more. Yeah. And you know, they're already super beneficial. I mm-hmm. was keeping certain things at the house. But uh, just actually in the last two days, I decided all all monitors um, and all snakes, except for the green tree python, are going back over to the uh, or in a, in a rat snake are going back over to the warehouse. So freeing up a little space. Yeah, the idea nice. was um, the doing superworms possibly, but I think I'm going to do those at the warehouse. Also, they don't take the same type of care. Um they're still pretty regular, but not the same type. But uh, yeah, right. The, you can you can leave stuff for superworms in a dish, and right. you don't have to come back to it for a day or so. You'll be okay, right? But the grasshoppers consume so much, and I uh, recommend you run them um, to be keeping up with their growth rate and your time of usage, right? Um, to to accommodate that. <laughs> so, it, like let's say for example. They basically can't be kept at 75, 80 degrees. They actually have to have some type of basking area because they are a diurnal bug. That entails basically says that they need to eat so much more just to keep up with how hot they are, or else they're just dehydrated. Yeah. So there's a balance. There's a there definitely is. To give you an idea of how much maintenance they are too, I literally told my girlfriend yesterday that I felt like I was neglecting them because I skipped a day of feeding. <laughs> like <laughs> one day. Yeah. One yeah. day I skipped a feeding I, and I felt I like actually, I was neglecting them. I actually can't even leave here. Everything that I planned here is uh, based on like about a four hour window. So if I'm going to go hang out, I, I basically got to go back. If I have to go to San Diego, I'm going to hang out for like a couple hours and I have to basically be back to take care of everything. I mean, Lynn may be able to buffer out a couple hours of the day, but she's also going to be at work herself and doing things like that. So I basically got to tend to them. I have, mind you, I have thousands at a time though. So, you know, I have to keep up with that yeah. or else I, I fail and I um, basically don't keep up with my promises for customers. And so that's yeah. also a very bad thing. So my momentum needs to be steady rather than me just saying, hey, I want to take care of the one. I want to take care of them. Exactly. That's, that's not how business works. Yeah. I even got my girlfriend to start trying to, assist with the grasshoppers a little bit and it's the funniest thing ever because she's she's terrified of them once (laughs) they're more than a couple days old so she tries to feed she tries to feed them now and she she grabs the biggest tongs she could find and throws (laughs) the food through the sleeves (laughs) well you know honestly those sleeves are what's um gonna help a lot i I just came out of your house before because (laughs) Uh, I couldn't risk them jumping all over the place and getting out. It would just be, yeah, yeah a proverbial Dude. shit show. But uh, yeah, no, no, it's, it's like such don't. an easy invent in uh, like invention, but like night and day. I went from yeah. you know reconnaissance missions trying to recover thirty <laughs> of them at a, uh, a feeding right. to yeah. now like I might have one jump out every two weeks. 
and yeah. it's yeah. just because it hits my arm and follows me right like, and he, i drag him out and he ends up on the floor but other than that okay so i used to you know on, on days where i have to cup a thousand right just say i have to that's just a, the typical number on a monday um i used to lose maybe 20 to 30 because for one i'll get annoyed and not chase them but then i'll also waste time chasing the ones that i feel like oh i can grab or whatever you know so yeah i have to close the cage right and right. then that disturbs them even more it's like oh man it's a headache so once we started really utilizing the sleeve the sleeve is functional for the most part really really good usage and getting your arm in there getting a cup in there getting lettuce in there even even a handful of lettuce you can get you can shove a narrow head of lettuce in there um that's that's the size of the sleeve and man it made life so much easier i got i can mm. you know i mean it's still a lot of work but it makes it so much easier though it takes yeah now out. i'm just going there and just flail around grab a handful throw them in a cup and leave like, <laughs> like oh, this, this is about all i do let me let me be honest about how I'm planning on setting this up. So this is going to be at the house, but I'm going to teach the kids to do it. And this is yeah, how they're going to learn their allowance. Earn their allowances. Um, it's simple because all they yeah. have to do is really just uh, put in lettuce, pull out the old stuff, and in between that, they're just shaking off the thing. Yeah, yeah. And then taking that out, throwing that away. Now, save all that. Feed that to your superworm colony. So that mm -hmm. way it doesn't go to waste. So I haven't started it yet because I, I don't have the space here yet. So I'm I'm really throwing it into like a compost that I've started, right? But I used to feed the stems to a tortoise as well, but really he can't eat a million stems. So, you know, <laughs> really like, um, uh, I have to like utilize the waste better. Yeah. So, you know, if you can feed them to your superworms, bro, your mealworms or, or even your roaches, um, you'd basically be utilizing any of that and not having waste at all, which is great. You, right. know, you get you get your money's worth for the two heads that you'll be buying in lettuce, and every lettuce head, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys, we're we're getting actually over two hours. I feel like we can oh, just dang. keep talking, and um, yeah, I feel like dude. we barely touched on some of the things. Like, well, I guess before we go, Cody, what's uh, um, you mentioned the torch monitors. But yeah. what are your other interests as far as monitors? Anything, any projects you're looking at getting into? Dude, so, I mean, like I said, right now my number one intention is just find blue tree monitors. That's yeah. focused, dialed in. I need blue tree monitors. I want to it, – it's not even necessarily that, like, I I say it all the time. I, I, I'm not trying to pay my bills with this. I'm trying to fund my hobby. Like, yeah. if I can just make my hobby self-sustaining, I literally opened a separate account – for anything I make from grasshoppers. So I know I made this much, I can spend this much on a monitor. Right. <laughs> like, right. So I, I'm literally just trying to hey, get I hear another you. <laughs> species going. I'm trying yeah. to get another species going. If I can get those breeding, use all that money to throw it straight back into another species. I'd like to get blues. Yeah. I'd like to get a pair of blacks. I would kill to get a tricolor monitor. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you know, I saw one the other day. Uh, I actually didn't know that those guys, Reptech, has a tricolor mm -hmm. monitor in their collection. Yeah. Dude, yeah, um, I I would I would kill for one of those, and then uh, yeah, I would suck a toe for that one for sure. <laughs> yeah, dude. But then um, trying to find a male green tree python. My fam, my female's about five and a half years old, pushing six okay. years old. Um, trying to find a, a male for her. 
Um, I got a pair of boas that uh, we'll be breeding this year. It's a, it's an albino to a hypo boa, so trying to make some sun glows. Um, and then really, like, one of my number one projects, I really, like I, I kind of mentioned it, I really want to get a pair of uh, eastern indigos. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just that's up there. Dream species. It, there's a trend, you'll see. Black body, orange face. <laughs> like, yeah, I get it. I get yeah. it, man. I like red animals. Now the blue trees yeah. are great, but I gravitate towards um, <coughs> reds and earthworms. And just mm-hmm. the first thing I want is red animals. So like my my um, uh, red lie, red animals, uh, ackies, red animals, and then it mm-hmm. goes into the little variations of red and and then earth tones, the uh, yellows and browns and uh, right any any combination of those that's where i gravitate to i'm just very into arboreal specific also because not only are they like i like the leaner looking animals if it's arboreal it's going to be leaner um but i also just really like the cool stuff that you can do with their enclosures that's that's like one of the big factors for me is like how cool can i make this thing and like if it's taller you can do a lot more with it yeah yeah have you checked out the pygmy mogas those uh little uh one of my friends just bought a trio (laughs) of them actually yeah 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 they're they're neat man they're really cool that's that's one of the reasons i like (laughs) really i like the ones that they actually still have those subtle uh colors and some of the bands you can still see and they're goofy man they are they're a lot Mm -hmm. of fun to watch yeah, I uh, I I can't say I would ever own one, but they're really cool. But yeah, we're we're trying. Uh, we actually think, funny enough, so we actually think we have Gastrophilus prasina eggs right now. We just can't nice. get to them. <laughs> so she buried Ooh. them in a. Uh, we we inserted like one of one of the things that I like to do with enclosures. I love building enclosures and decking them out. Um, one of the things Come that I like over. doing is secure hides. Right. <laughs> Um, I love doing secured hides, though, where it's, like, foamed, si- siliconed into the wall so it can't yeah. be taken out. So it's, like, one of the best things you can do for a monitor you're trying to acclimate to is, like, give it something that it knows that you can't get to. Yeah. And uh, and so I'm trying to make that a trend with most of our enclosures. Well, the female gastro took it upon herself to lay eggs in it. So we're trying to like in situ, like just leave the eggs in and see if they hatch. We think they, she they laid might. in a good spot. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, we uh, we got all of them from one guy. He breeds the the coolest stuff. He does like chameleons, geckos, uh, the Damon, gastros. Right? Yeah, Damon Hall. Yeah, four hundred two exotics is his. Yeah, uh, Damon's uh, Damon's a good guy. He is so freaking smart too, man. It is crazy. Any question I have doesn't matter what it is. Like he was just blowing me up this morning about um reading UV lights and their and like getting a UV meter to read like is this that's, gonna burn my animal and that's the that's the gentleman like that. who got me into focusing more on my UV usage because he uses it for bird spectrum and his chameleon spectrum. Um, chameleon people are. I would say leading in UV usage oh, yeah. because of their animals are very specific, but birds also themselves, especially, you know, exotic birds, even, even ones that aren't exotic require a uh, good UV. It's basically great for their psycho psychology, psych- mm-hmm. their psyche. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. With that said too, I never thought I would be interested <laughs> in birds, 
He has a Turaco, it's called. Look yeah. him up. They're the coolest bird species ever. This bird's name is Dingdong. <laughs> and <laughs> it literally is an acrobat. It it doesn't even fly half the time. It'll just bounce from one shoulder to another. Just all the people in the room. That's it's awesome. so freaking cool. Uh, man. Yeah, you know, I, I have a buddy who uh, does some birds and just watching the steps he goes through, he goes through mm. the way his head thinks um, and just figuring out stuff for, for birds and their habits. And uh, it, it's actually not that far of a jump from mm-hmm. reptiles to bird keeping. Well, I say that without any experience, but right, yeah. <laughs> The way I see like his head is basically herpetology. Right. right. You know, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> if I could teach a falcon to catch reptiles for me, then that, that'd be the way. <laughs> yeah. it'll, come. it'll give you half of it. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, man, that's that that's about what I'm up to. Doing okay. that, I, I play a bunch of video games, I play guitar, I work. <laughs> that's about it. I really don't do much other than that. Nice. Hey, yeah, man. <laughs> I wish I could do more of that sometimes today. I was running just to get on here. I was like, all right, I got to do this, 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 this. Yeah. This, you know? Oh, I worked. I worked 10 to 6 today. I So I, I got home at 630 and I'm like, all right, is it time yet? OK, I got two minutes. I'll sit down and play a game quick. Right. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> but, so before I just to give you a kind of an idea, before I got into the reptile stuff, I was a part of a fairly decent sized gaming channel on youtube at about five hundred fifty thousand subscribers Oof. um so i that's that's what i did for like five years actually was upload to youtube so like i'm very familiar with the whole spectrum it's just a different audience now i have to ask what was the last game you did that for call of duty call of duty okay yep if I'm being honest, I don't play a lot of games, but you sound and look really familiar, but I couldn't place oh, it. Oh, no, you you wouldn't know me from that like uh like I never really did like like uh I guess uh like live cam or anything like okay. that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um but no, it was uh it was a like Call of Duty like sniping team, like it was just like montages and stuff but yeah yeah for for those that might know listening it was obey uh they have like six hundred thousand subscribers now oh man um, but yeah that's what i did for years man so that got me into video editing that got me into like it taught me a lot about marketing honestly um and now i work for an internet provider selling internet. nice <laughs> so <laughs> yeah nice it's funny what brings people together i, I seriously if we could just get people together. And, uh, I really wanted, they, um, they're talking about that monitor, uh, fest next oh, year. Dude. Yeah. I'm you know? like five hours away from that. I'm going yeah. hands down. I think I'm going to be flying in for the day and leaving the next morning or the night. Yeah. You got grasshoppers. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta go feed. <laughs> I got stuff to take care of. And I also don't like leaving cause most of my stuff is always breeding. So right. it's like, I'm, I mean, I'm already stressed about it here. If I leave and I basically can't tend to it, I'm just, I don't even want to be there. Cause I'll just, be right. Worried. Dude, if I, if I'm in like social, uh, interaction for too long, like I get anxious. I hate <laughs> yeah, being that, like, that's another thing too. So I gotta be accommodated, man. I just gotta, be right. Like there, there's times where <laughs> I'm like, 
I'll have friends like offer to pick me up and take me somewhere, and I'm just like, no, because I want to leave when I'm ready to leave. Like, I don't want to <laughs> leave on your time. Like, well, hell uh, no, man. We we I'll talk to Mike, and uh, maybe we can uh, have a have a timeout zone. <laughs> yeah, right. Feeling- a lot of reptile people are the same way. We'll just have a quiet room with maybe some monitors in there and everybody yeah. like take, take your ticket and uh, you could go in there for a little yeah, while. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That'd be funny. <laughs> it's got to have a chair to accommodate my back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, dude. Look at this chair. I, I mean, you probably saw it earlier. Yeah. This is a, a secret labs chair. This isn't no, a, 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 I almost got that. This thing, dude. I, totally I love it. Awesome. A chair like that. But I ended up getting the one with the little spider webs in the back, which I still like though. Oh yeah. Yeah. This this thing cost me a pretty penny, like four hundred and fifty bucks. But Ooh, that's not it, that's not it's bad. Comfy, man. It is so comfy. Yeah. Folks, and I sit in this thing for eight hours a day, so like <laughs> Right. Folks gotta see where that grasshopper money can get you, right? <laughs> right, dude. Yeah, man. So you want a chair like this? <laughs> right. <clears throat> Yeah, but, um, all right, man. Well, it was really great having you on, and I really appreciate you coming and uh, letting people know about your experience with uh, Prasinus and other things and the grasshopper stuff and the torch monitors. And um, yeah, man. Where can people Thank- find you? Oh, yeah. Um, so, my Instagram right now, let me pull it up just to double check. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> I do know my own username. It's at riser. It's R Y Z R R. I post a lot of um okay i'm really bad about posting on there to be honest a lot of what i do post is uh just reptile related stuff you know i post some like guitar stuff things like that but that's where i post a lot of my um reptile stuff the my twitter is the same exact thing i post on there even less (laughs) so probably just the instagram what is this i see so i just followed you like right now as you're seeing uh I see a, I see a carpet python. Yeah, dude. So that that guy is. Um, oh, let me, let me figure out which picture you're looking at. Um, how far back is it? Looks like a male jungle. Yeah. How far back are you? Oh, I don't know. I just started scrolling down and. Oh, checking okay. Yeah. Out. So I don't have that one anymore. This this proves how how rarely i post i need to post photos of this thing i have a um i'll post it in the actual chat here as i see we got one of those um oh if i'm even able to oh uh, i see what I you have, mean yeah it's been a while <laughs> yeah dude so i posted some grasshopper stuff i posted the the <laughs> apes hatching um but i uh i have a crazy crazy looking um jungle carpet right now and she's um oh cody we man. lost there you are oh, oh lost okay. you for a quick second there was a flash and then you oh really um yeah i don't know if you have a way that i could send it to you but anyways um i you have can post a... it on your instagram <laughs> i sure could I'll, I'll do that right after this they're photos that i took literally last summer and i thought i posted and apparently i didn't um but yeah so I mean, long story short, I have a, a carpet python that is an unknown um, origin. It's uh, It looks like a jungle possible jag diamond cross. It is the craziest looking jungle carpet python I've ever seen. Yeah. And somebody traded it into the local 
aquatic shop reptile store here as a as a ball python. Nice. Twenty dollars. Awesome. And so my yeah. friend hit me up and was like, "Hey man, you want to come buy this really cool looking carpet python?" And I'm like, "I sure do." Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'll I'll have to you know post it in a little bit here, but craziest yeah. looking snake I own. We'll be for looking sure. for it. All right, yeah, and um, Kai, tell us again where can we find you? Oh man, don't come looking for me. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, okay, so I'm actually on facebook much more often than anything but um because you can just easily find me on there and i'm much more responsive but there's quite a few avenues for you to find me now um on um instagram i am big underscore lizard uh, 103 and on uh, youtube i'm mangrove mecca um mangrove m-e-c-c-a uh, I also have California grasshoppers. Um, that's where you'll be able to find me for grasshopper deets and things like that. I typically post when I have availabilities and so you can possibly pre-order or have to order right around the time of uh, delivery and such like that. Um, but yeah, you can find me also through this MPR network now as well, where mm. you'll be able to find a whole ton of, uh, different podcasts as well all reptile related such um there's even like a field herping one and things like that and so um yeah those are the places you'll be able to find me but facebook kai fan would be the best way where i'm most responsible yeah that's the same for me is probably facebook i also forgot i made a business uh page on facebook it's versatile slash reptile um it's a picture of my green tree monitors and uh, otherwise just my just my name on facebook it's cody c-o-d-e-y um yeah and i'm yeah man i uh i'm pretty responsive to messages on there that's half of what i do at work is message on facebook trying to sell people internet so <laughs> yeah um for me it's origins with an s uh underscore reptile uh, on Instagram and Origins Reptile on Facebook. You should be able to find me on either one. Um, don't try to follow me <laughs> by my name. Um, I probably won't. Uh, I won't. I won't confirm it or whatever. And it's nothing. No offense to anybody out there. Um, if we haven't really like talked in person a few times, then. You know, I'm posting pictures of my kids and family stuff. On yeah, some people need that privacy and separation, yeah. and that's perfectly good. Because, to mm. be honest, I have no separation at all. So Same. All right. People can just message me whenever. And I'm always on Facebook anyways on my own page. But, you know, if I were to disable it, go onto my other page and things like that. So I'm not trying like, to follow 20 social medias. I'm bad with three enough as it is. You saw. My yeah, Instagram. exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm only doing it because of the the reach for people. It's not, you know, sticking with with uh, Facebook alone. You don't reach the younger people that are on Instagram or or things right. like that. And um, so, I mean, in those it's a thousand percent free. Why wouldn't you use it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, um, guys. We appreciate everybody for coming and listening. Yeah. And enjoying and this podcast. Again, uh, some of you have messaged me some things, um, some questions. Sorry if I haven't gotten back to you. Um, it's been a little bit busy. And with the growth of not only, I think, the podcast, but just what's going on in the, the collections and, and other things, um, 
gets a little hard. And, uh, you yeah. know, my wife and family are super supportive. I am not going to piss them off to answer some more questions. <laughs> I need yeah, them we, in my corner. <laughs> we, will, uh, we will have another Q&A because the questions are sort of uh, not piling up, but they are coming. Um, we love the feedback that you guys have been giving us. I know uh, most of them have been uh, – really beneficial or just great words and things like that. But, um, you know, anything that you guys have questions about stuff that we may not have covered, um, feel free to message us or contact us any way you feel like you'd want to. Um, and we'll try to get your questions up. Um, even possibly even have you come on if you want to be in the hot seat a little bit and, uh, ask us questions about things that are, um, pertaining to your subject and species. Um, we're mm-hmm. going to get, as we come and figuring out more of our goals and things like that with this current podcast, um, we'll be covering more and more species. And so if you notice, we've just dropped the Roughneck one, and we'll be dropping this one in a couple weeks, and we did the Savannah one. I've covered mangroves. We're going to do more dwarf monitors. But if there's a species that we don't – we know we're not really working with or something like that, like spinelose, stuff like that, a species that are – here in the United States, but very rare. You know, you don't really see a ton of them, and most people aren't working with them too well or hard to figure out. And so, um, yeah, feel free to send us send, send us questions. All right. And again, guys, go check out MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Um, there's a Patreon. There's a store. If you'd like to help support not only uh, NPR but the rest of the Reptile Podcast, go ahead and look at that Patreon. See if you'd like to subscribe. Check out US Arc. Um, that's U S A R K. They are out there on the front lines defending our right or protecting our right to even keep these animals in the first place. So, anything you can do to support them, um, please do because there are a lot of, uh, ooh, I'll just say a lot of other people out there that want to actually affect or take away your ability to keep animals. So, um, they've been fighting for us for a while. They probably before uh, many of us were even keepers. Um, they have a long history and uh, credibility to what they do, and they're not novices. And um, we're talking about some of the best and smartest people in this hobby protecting our rights out there. So yeah. um, definitely get on there, support US Arc, um, check out the store on NPR uh, and the Patreon. We really appreciate you guys for listening. All right. Thank you.